Maybe you're like, crap, I didn't think that's gonna happen. But I'll cut it for you anyway. This caused more of a mess getting involved in this thing. So what can I do? Take <laughs> to a shiver this. Unpossible 15 gets you 15% off. Since I don't know shit. Will you explain to me what you mean by like focal plane and what the first one is and the second one is? For oh, those of us who don't know. I will not. Jesus Christ. <laughs> sure. Those are all pretty good claps. <laughs> I'm a clapper. It, it was, it, it's usually a bit of a competition because somebody like fucks it up every time. All right. Um, I don't know. Jesus, it's been a while since we've done these, Thomas. Mm. Well, you got to ease back in. I know, gotta, man. It's, 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 we're going to ease in. We're going to talk about this boot. We're going to talk about the boot? thing yeah. first, though. All right, so before introductions. So we did this, uh, you know, I got love for the streets, Hamp. You know, I'm still still that way. We uh, did an event in Texas, in San Antonio, and, uh, you know, it was like an in-store event, like a retail event, and, uh, you know, when we do those, like Ethan and I show up, you know, we don't send, like, sales reps and stuff, and uh, it's so great, like, I, you know, I don't really stay engaged in a lot of the retail stuff anymore, so I love going to these events to learn, like, I see tons of guns, you know, I get to meet lots of people, questions directly from them, not filtered through, like, customer service and stuff like that. And uh, this kid shows up and gives me this this boot shot glass. He drove all the way from Arkansas somewhere to San Antonio to meet us and to shoot eight six and bring me this boot shot glass. And it was so awesome. The kid was so sweet. And then I was like, oh man, that's so great. Even though you're mocking me about being old, <laughs> I'm gonna like I'll use that on the the podcast. He's like, oh, I'll probably cry. <laughs> so it's you know, it makes ready you, to cry. Makes you feel good, man. Mm-hmm. You know, I only need like a seventy percent approval rating. You know, well, fuck, fuck it, those haters. It, it was kind of a dick move though, because that guy does look like an old Jew, and he even put in there that I only now that I, I don't get. I mean, I yeah. think it's a bad translation yeah. of another language. Well, no, you probably <laughs> said something goofy like that on a podcast really? once, and he and he was just trying to mock you. Well, I am getting older, but what grade were you in when I was born? Fuck you, Hamp. All right, so <clears throat> today, <laughs> big pimpin' Aaron Hampton is back with us from EOTech. And Matt, I don't know, I hope y'all are doing like, we're, we're doing annual reviews right now at our company. And if y'all are doing them at the same time, I'll make some comments on Aaron. I got another Please. six months. We don't, we don't even start that until January, so I'm, I'm good. Let's, let's stay in touch, man. Somebody's not doing it right because it should be a little bit more frequently. Yeah. For you especially. <laughs> You've got to be on probation, speaking from someone with experience. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. All right. Well, Matt, it's Van Heron. Correct. Is that how I say it? Correct. Yep. That's correct. Well, man, it's good to see you. Likewise. So um, you're Aaron's boss. Yes. 
Boss's boss. Boss's boss. Boss's boss's boss. Exactly. We'll forget all the layers of that. All right. Mm -hmm. So you, you're the guy that can make decisions that affect Aaron's life. Yeah. I can, but uh, you know we have a pretty flat organization. Our, our, you know, Aaron and I work together. It's not uh, like we have to go through all those layers, right? So, yeah, but to 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 be more direct to your dickish point that you were moving <laughs> towards, uh, <laughs> there there are several Girl Scouts with high cookie sale rates that could affect my mm -hmm. income. So yeah, I mean, like I'm easily shat upon. Uh, you know, I'm that low level. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm like the guys behind the scenes. <laughs> mm, yeah. Well, I will say as much shit as Aaron and I. <laughs> you're always number one in my heart, Thomas. But I put us together. <laughs> you're, you're, you may be at the bottom of the org chart, but you're number one in my heart, baby. <laughs> um, you know, well, that's an interesting point. As much shit as we give each other. Um, Y'all are lucky to have Aaron handed. We are. The truth of the matter is uh, Aaron, guys like Aaron, make all the smart decisions in the organization. It really is true. That's I, a leader right there. Yeah. That's, that's, a, that's a leader comment. Now, Every time uh, I get Aaron's hair, like, I need my pay to reflect what you said. Well, now I'm wishing we were doing reviews right now. Right, I know. Every time I get a harebrained idea, I give him a text, give him a call, email. What do you think about this? And he's nice enough not to tell me it's stupid. But... I get from what he's telling me when it is. And uh, if it's a halfway decent idea, he helps me sort of craft it into a better idea. And if it's a harebrained idea, he handles you with the kid gloves. He does. Like, he does. He makes me oh, feel good. Oh, that's sweet, honey. But yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, um, all right. So what, what's, Aaron, what is your title there now? So I'm senior product manager. Product manager. Uh, and my focus is on uh, outside of our core categories, which are holographic weapon sight and magnified optics now. I still work on both of those, but my focus is now on night vision, thermal, and we have a new division that we're calling EOTech Gov, which is pure digital night vision. So it's kind of the next step in night vision. So that'll be the future. Mm -hmm. That yeah. is definitely yeah. the future. And Matt, you're the CEO. Correct. All right. So you guys are no longer L3. We touched on that in the last mm -hmm. podcast, I believe. And for those that haven't watched it, did a podcast with Aaron and JB um, from your organization, mm -hmm. I don't know, a year ago or so. Yeah, right around a year and, ago. And, you know, I, I've said it to you guys and I've said it on other podcasts. I learned more on that podcast and probably from a technical perspective, more than I've learned on any other podcast I've had. Like it, it's a, it's a, you guys shared all kinds of information. It was brilliant. It's simple. It shows. And we were talking last night. Like a problem I have with you guys is once I've learned from Aaron, like the advantages and what is really great about holographic sites is why you guys don't promote that more and explain it more to the consumers. Um, you know, and, and I don't know, we talked about maybe that was in, in, you know, in the past that that was just you guys focused on the government contracts and that's what sells stuff. But I don't know, I think in the last few years with social media and then, you know, also the Really, like every time your shit goes beep right in the middle of stuff, you get on me about turning my phone off, and then you never turn that off. Mute, can't you mute it? So, um, god damn it, you see, you fucked my flow up, and it was a good flow. Oh, it was so good, it was. But, 
when when I learn, you, you know, you guys taught me so much on that podcast that I didn't understand. Because, you know, to me, I will look at it like a basic consumer. And now I think we even have a lot more basic consumers because, like, do. the commercial firearms industry mm-hmm. has just exploded the last 10 years or so. And, you know, and we're about to go through another election cycle. So, you know, we're going to have those uh, ups and downs through that process. And it seems like it creates a lot more ups traditionally. Yeah. Uh, at least at this point. Anyway, so talking about that, the holographic sites, like, okay, well, EOTech, the battery doesn't last quite as long, but now the battery life on all of them are so long, it's stupid. Mm -hmm. Like, change your batteries out once a year. It's three bucks. (laughs) And then the advantages of it over just a dot site, and and more so, like, I understood early on when I started working with some of the special operations groups 12 or 15 years ago, and um, where they were working with you guys on some of the new optics, Mm -hmm. and it's like, why would you use that? Because the battery life doesn't last as long. And it's 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 heavier than, you know, like a micro aim point. And then it's like, oh, target acquisition. Like every guy in the unit is faster through this course mm-hmm. with this optic. Like Absolutely. there's a reason, I guess, that fighters or whatever use them. But you guys mm-hmm. did market that to some degree back in the day. We should have. We talked about it, but we never put together, you know, a, a proper campaign. But, you know, also a lot of that had to do with L3 and then L3 Harris's focus on, it wasn't about innovation, right? It was about, we had this halo effect for sales uh, from the government contracts. Yeah. So just run with that, right? Don't reinvent the wheel, just keep doing what you're doing. Uh, and that was, you know, that was the hard thing to, to tolerate, which is why I, I was only there for a short time. Yeah. Uh, because, you know, what is product development if you're not developing any products? I mean, Aaron Hampton, you're, you're a racehorse, and it's just hard to hold one back. I, I, like you, damn it. No, I know. I mean, because we're, we're talking about that, um, you know, working with large organizations or working with private equity and then small co- – I mean, there's advan- pros and cons to each. But where I find big business like that, and that's easy for me to say because I'm probably more on the creative and entrepreneurial side and, like, don't like taking orders, it, it's – you got to, for me, I would be so dissatisfied with life if all we did was worry about a government contract and that's mm-hmm. what made me all my money and we're just sustaining that. Right. Like, I, I would rather, like, you know, be a barista or whatever at Starbucks. That has no interest to me, but that's my personality, like one extreme. But what, um, dude, what's your background? Where are you from? How'd you get chosen for this? What have you been through? Uh, I grew up in Virginia, yeah. uh, military family. And uh, went to college, uh, spent about two, three years in college, dropped out, decided I wanted to be in the tech business. I wasn't sure exactly what I wanted to do. First job I worked in was a horrible job. I started as an entry-level sales guy in a datacom distributor company. And um, Sounds terrible. Yeah, it was terrible. Uh, first day there, they handed me a stack of paper this big and said, call every single government P-card holder and ask them if they want to buy a cable. Um, so that was a start. It ended with a guy standing up and peeing all over a desk and ripping up the office and didn't get fired. Is, is that how you and Aaron met? Yeah, that's how Aaron and I met, actually. <laughs> Glad you uh, picked that, that up. So they drove someone to that point. Yep, absolutely. And uh, so I left there. I went to uh, Honeywell, spent a couple years there. Yeah. Um, another big company. Another big company. Um, and, and this time on security technology side. Yeah. Uh, a couple years there, uh, went to a company called SST that was a mid-sized company, but then got bought by Tyco. So another big company. 
and um, spent a few years there. And I, and sort of the big kind of career change for me was I moved to Hawaii. I had a friend that, that lived there um, after college. He went out there for a summer, just never came back. He called me up and said, hey, uh, why don't you come out and visit me? It's been seven years. So I went out there to visit him. And uh, out of curiosity, I was looking on the internet, things to do while I'm out there. I ran across this jobs uh, site and uh, called the company up and said, are you still hiring? And they said, no, but why don't you come have lunch with us? So had lunch with them, right there offered me a job. Month later, I was out there living in Hawaii. Really? Were you, what, around 30? I was in my late 20s. So, so, yeah, yeah, I mean, that's an interesting time, I think, for a dude, you're out of college on mm-hmm. your own. You spent some time doing, yeah, yeah, uh, ha- having a career and like, oh, this is what it is. Mm-hmm. Learning what you hate, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Which you know, men, I think we're probably slow learners typically mm-hmm. compared to women in a lot of ways. So it takes yeah. us a little longer to sort that out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so that was an interesting company. It, 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 they were doing some just pretty run of the mill security technology projects, mm-hmm. um, but they had this was. 2004. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of uh, uh, military work coming out of Hawaii, obviously, uh, with Pacific Command there, and had just gotten their first little contract with the Army. I came in, had a little bit of prior, prior experience, and kind of took over that part of the business, and within six months or so, I was a general manager of the company, and we started building tactical surveillance and reconnaissance systems for special operations, um, NSA folks like that. Yeah. And so really cool projects, learned a lot about it, um, got really into electro-optics, uh, night vision technology, and all the tactical comms that made okay. all these systems work together. Yeah, so even then. Yep. So uh, did that for a few years, and went back to a big business. Uh, SAIC was one of our partners, uh, reached out to me, went and worked with them, spent about a year still in Hawaii, and then moved back to Virginia, and took over a business that they had acquired that uh, exclusively worked in the intelligence uh, community doing similar type of technologies. Uh, Took that business, grew it to a pretty big uh, organization. So was there about seven years, and burn myself out just you know dealing with all the corporate bureaucracy working you know people say I work 100 hours a week and they really don't I was pretty close to that and so I said to my boss uh, after seven years I need another job I need to do something different and he said well what do you want to do and I said well I want to do corporate development because it doesn't seem like those guys do anything so (laughs) true story so uh, I went up and did that for a year did you know some projects here and there and then I went to, uh, um, I got a, uh, an opportunity to interview for a job in Michigan. And it was interesting to me because my family is actually from Michigan, spent summers up there, thought it was beautiful, oh, yeah. all the sort of, you know, nostalgia with that. Uh, took that job and it was a machine vision company that were also kind of, you know, focused in security applications, but we knew pretty, uh, you know, right away that it just wasn't gonna thrive in that space. So uh, we decided to go after oil and gas. And so we were doing um, using uh, thermal so technology. Is this kind of the first change for you for like that focus from, you know, government or defense stuff to, you know, like to private industry of, to yeah. oil and gas? Yeah, it really was. I always did a little bit of commercial on the side, but it was it was sort of a big move. Um, and but still underlying electro optics, uh, machine vision, uh, analytics, software and communication systems yeah. that tie it all together. So we were doing remote monitoring, doing 
Uh, we're using FLIR cameras. Uh, they're used uh, for gas detection. We were writing algorithms on them and doing automated gas detection and things like that. And doing some interesting things, kind of remote monitoring of gas, yeah. uh, oil and gas assets. So did that for about uh, four years, was the CEO of that company, had a board of directors that was uh, full of Wall Street types, uh, three or four guys that all went to Harvard Business School together. Oh yeah, Maybe, they know everything. They know everything. Yeah. Maybe the worst uh, four years of my life. Uh, and at the same time, I was starting to have a family and uh, decided I wanted to move on from there. And so I got a job at a company that we were partnered with and doing commercial work. And uh, it was the one company that was still doing security work with our technology and they were doing it for AWS. So I came over to help manage that. And the guys that are the majority owners of EOTech now, which I'll talk a little bit about, uh, had just bought that company. Yeah. And within a few months, they found out that the entrepreneur that had started that business uh, had done a good job of getting some great customers. He was doing business with General Motors, with AWS, UPS, mm -hmm. folks like that, um, but was uh, horrible at running the business and, and they were in financial dire straits. So they moved yeah. me up, asked me to take uh, on that business, and then they subsequently acquired a business called Elite Defense. Elite Defense was owned and run by a gentleman named Dennis Finnegan, who's the president of International Business Now at EOTech uh, and government. And uh, he had been at EOTech running their uh, international business. He left, started a rep firm to sell soldier systems technologies uh, for American-based companies in the international market, to mm -hmm. include EOTech. Uh, so I was helping them with that business. And we also had Dean Lobig, who is uh, former EOTech, was at Elite and is now back at EOTech as our CTO and COO of the business and uh, holography expert. And so he was developing his own holographic weapon site to compete with EOTech. So my job was to try to find out a way for us to manufacture that. And EOTech went up for sale. So uh, Chris Cusa, who's a principal of Cusa Capital, the majority of the company, called me up one day and said, let's go do this. Yeah. And so made the call to the investment banker, and here we are. So you, you're part of the acquisition process from, uh, yeah, L3. So it's not right. just like where, you know, when, when I sold my old company, Advanced Armament, private equity, the first year was fucking great because they left us alone, and then they private equitied the shit out of us. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I mean, you see, and now Remington, what are they? Like all that was just sold at bankruptcy. Like I offered them, uh, they called me a year before it was all done and they wanted me to buy the company back and they wanted $2 million for it, my old company. And they had paid me 20, about 22 million. And I offered them a million for it and they didn't take it. And then it was sold for 350,000 or something mm -hmm. in bankruptcy to uh, Palmetto State. Yep. And um, yeah, what a shit show and a bunch of assholes they were. Yeah. But it's it's not always the thing. Like the mm -hmm. largest investor in our company, other than myself, is from private equity, mm -hmm. and he is the exact opposite. Although you would look at him, look at his background, and think, oh, there's no way. But he's the most helpful. Doesn't he cares about the long term growth and you know productivity of the company and us creating value? But he does not. He's never asking me to cut costs. He's never asking mm -hmm. me not to be an entrepreneur. He's never criticizing me about the way I like he's like, we knew what we were getting into yeah. with you. Like it's uh, like yeah. you're the value of the company. That was kind of his attitude. Yeah, a very similar situation. Um, so a little bit of background on those guys. Uh, Chris Kuza, um, his father was an immigrant, immigrant, came to America and from 
nothing built a real estate empire that's worth uh, near a billion dollars. And Chris was the only son, and his father uh, said to him, hey, we want you to go to college, get a law degree, do something different. So he did that, and uh, his father owned half the business, and then he has some uncles that have the other side of the business. And his father passed away in his 50s, Chris was in his early 30s, and so Chris was thrust into his family business and stopped practicing law actively. And uh, he partnered with a gentleman by the name of Joe Caradonna. And Joe, he knew from growing up, they played Little League hockey together. Oh, yeah. And Joe was a real estate developer. And when the real estate crash happened, uh, they bought and sold debt, made a lot of money, funded their own real estate business. So Chris has his family business, Cusa Capital, uh, is part of uh, sort of the family office associated with that. Excuse me. Um, and, uh, and then Joe and Chris started their own real estate business, which is yeah. massive in and of itself. They realized after that sort of real estate crash that they really needed to diversify and wanted to get in sort of in defense industrial base, really liked firearms and liked that part of the business. So decided they wanted to do that. And the way that they operate is a family office. It's not like a private equity entity. Well, and yeah, by what you're saying, because of most of the private equity guys I've encountered, like that's that was always their journey. You know, mm-hmm. that was their path it was college, finance, private equity. That was always the thing. So yeah. I see what you're saying. It's a different thing. A family yeah. business. He, yeah. and, and the family part is, is the most important part of it. Every time Chris calls me on the phone, the first 15 minutes are, how are your kids doing? And it's not just I'm asking to be polite. It's a 15 minute conversation about the details of my family and how mm-hmm. things are going. And whenever we go into a business deal, he says, is this going to change your life for the better or the worse? I don't care how much money we're going to make. If it changes our lives for the worse, if it is a drag on us, we're not going to do it. Right. And, and that's how we operate. And he gives us a lot of freedom and autonomy to do that. Uh, Joe, his partner and I basically work on everything that, that the business is operating uh, towards in terms of financial and organizational constructs. We're just at the hip and we're communicating every single day. Yeah. So it's not like this formal process where I'm sending these reports and you yeah, know, doing it, those kind of things with those guys. I mean, I, I'm still the majority owner of my company, but that's very similar to my situation. Like I'm not obligated to provide any reports that may be right. an annual basic thing to them. Mm-hmm. But, you know, there we'll go months without like a board call mm-hmm. and then you know and sometimes you know i appreciate this is the first time my first deal with advanced armament they were not helpful at all well I, they just took money out of our bank account mm-hmm. and this one it, it it's it's interesting because there's four people on the board including myself and the other three guys are the three largest investors other than myself and they've been way more successful in business and you know they're all a few years older than me and just have a different experience and for them you know like one was just in finance one uh, develops uh, computer software and um, and then one was private equity who they specialize in primarily food services and stuff mm-hmm. and um, you know and he, he employed 750,000 people before he bought Dunkin Donuts so you know like the problems and the scale of things that they've had to handle mm-hmm. so so it's really not because you know it's it's like when it's your life and you know, you're in this little fishbowl and you have something that happens and, uh, oh, God, I got to make a decision. It's a million dollars. You talk to them. It like, you know, it grounds you pretty because, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, I, I, we had to deal with that. But it was like a, a, a you know, four billion dollar problem. Yeah. And, you know, it puts it in perspective. Yeah. And, it, you know, it's hard to beat. We talked about it, like experience. Like to me, you want to hire a product guy that can go and like, you know, do some surveys of the industry and bullshit like that. That's great. But you can't. 
you know, and not to give Aaron too big of a head, but uh, like he's been involved at a pretty elite level within, you know, the industry when it comes to small arms for so long. Like, you can't like buy that experience. Mm. And I, I, you know, I see it with my company because I'm, you know, the second oldest person at my company, and I, I was the oldest person for like two days. But you know, we got the other Kevin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and it's basically. And now th- you know why he was hired. Think, yeah. Think, yeah, thank God for him. Well, it's like he's basically retired, but wanted I think early retirement, but wanted something to do rather than sit mm-hmm. home and have to you know do all the honeydew stuff all the time. Yeah, and he's like the happiest guy at the whole place. But I've always loved having the energy of young people and mm-hmm. giving them an opportunity and challenging them to thrive. But I also have been like self motivated my entire life. And as you realize, as you, you know, as I, this is almost my 30th year in the industry and, you know, I'm starting to learn like a few things about people finally. And it's like, well, not everybody's motivated the same way. And what we see right now and what we're looking for in certain areas of the company, because we have a, 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 we're growing tremendously right now is, you know, in some key positions where we're weak, you know, in certain areas of the company, some people with experience been there, done that to lead younger people that I see one day leading the company in that area. But, you know, they don't know what they don't know. Like, right. you know, if you got four years experience and this dude's got 34, it's like he can probably work a half hour a day and get just as much done mm-hmm. in, in, a, in a lot of areas. Sure. Um, but it's exciting to me, like EOTech, cool product. You see basically one fucking product for a long time mm-hmm. that is different than a lot of stuff on the market. And then you guys do uh, like magnified optics, that five to 25. That was awesome out of the gate still a wonderful optic still love it. um the new one to ten you guys are doing because i tried like the a prototype one to eight didn't love it as much the one to ten i love you know jay got one at shot show and i think we why didn't you love it well it at the higher magnifications and and to my eyes are not what they were when i was 40 but it, it wasn't clear around the edges to mm-hmm. me. And so the one to 10 does not have that. Yeah. And a one to 10 is such a wonderful range for practical hunting. And I don't know a lot of people that hunt more than me at this point in my life. No. And, and, uh, and that shoot as many animals because of, you know, not just my bloodthirst, but primarily we're developing ammo Blood or lust. stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, so it's important to me because as my eyes aren't as good now, and I probably need to have some corrective action, like some surgical stuff going on here pretty soon. But, um, you know, low light is harder for me. Yeah. And then you get spoiled. Like I love Swarovski. I love their glass. But, you know, they don't, you know, you, you can't dial as far with that. I mean, there's just a lot of things to where that's just for, strictly for a traditional hunting perspective. And right. They, as you know, we've talked about it. They're just slow. It's like Europeans with a lot of things slow to respond to trends or you know like kind of new innovations right. they're always the last to do it yeah and they do it well when they do it oh oh they're, they're their optics are great it's fantastic and and they've got the they Suaro is is probably at the market cornered on great glass right and then excellent prescriptions and great coatings and so you know quite honestly we're following right but we're doing a great job at following and yeah We've talked deeply about that one to eight. And I think one of the reasons why it didn't work out as well for you is as it does for a lot of people, second focal plane. And you're really a first focal plane kind of guy. And you don't need that daylight bright dot 
you know, we had to do a lot to be able to put that in and yeah. make something for the competitive shooters, but also a good truck gun and that kind of thing. Yeah, it, so it's hard compromises. Get, it, it is. It's hard to get everything, you know, like right. I love um, their new Z8 turrets, the snap on and off. But then I also like I hunt in the mountains in Africa, like that thing's not that durable in right. that regard. So it's always a balance sure. of, of those things. But with this one to ten, like it's an optic because uh, we're, we're actually putting it on uh, a, a collab that we're doing with Field Ethos, I believe. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And, and so that was actually picked by them. And so that's pretty cool. And all those guys, I was just with them on a hunt. They all hunt like I do almost, but they hunt a lot. And that was one that we all loved. You know, there's features in that optic that the Swarovski doesn't have. And that's probably, that'll probably be an optic that I use on this hunt. I'll leave this week to go to Africa. Um, Hopefully you got it from Jay. Yeah. Remember we busted him at SHOT Show? So you guys like gave it to him and, and like uh, he didn't say anything to me. And so we see him a couple hours later at SHOT Show and he's standing there with it like tucked under his arm. And he's like, what's up, guys? He's like, what do you have? <laughs> but yeah, yeah, we, we got it. But I'm not, I think it was not for lack of Jay Tryon. It was just bad timing. I happened to walk upon him when he was holding um, <laughs> Yeah, so that's a great optic. So you guys are doing great things there. So mm -hmm. you, you started diversifying there. You guys have been successful with those. You have the five to twenty-five. If anybody likes, especially like target shooting, uh, you got a small compact gun, or you want one, or oh, I mean, a lot of details that I think a lot of companies miss. Like even things that might seem stupid to like a novice shooter, but just the clicks with the turret are mm -hmm. so definite. Like my calloused old ass hands can feel every click. Like I don't have to look at it. I know what I'm dialing. Um, the, the short length, so you can use it and use some inline night vision in front of it. that 25 power, unless it's like the middle of summer. I mean, you're shooting targets, especially 25 power is incredible. Um, the one to 10, I love. And so now you guys, so to jump ahead of that, so, so now it's exciting because you guys aren't acting like a big company. You're diversifying mm -hmm. more. So you got all these great new products that right. are in a different category. So, uh, you know, what was the decision and what the heck are you guys doing? And when will we see them, you know, not just defense wise, but uh, commercial? So we're doing <coughs> a lot of brand new stuff yeah. right? that we'll talk about shortly. But mm. it's also important to note that uh, we're we're in the final phases of launching a, a completely different magnified optics line Oh yeah, uh, that is more geared toward the sportsman and the hunter type, uh, by no oh, means a, a low price, right? But um, a ruggedization level lower than a voodoo, you know, something that's more, so it's not going to be your three to nine. Okay. Right? Wait, so to put it in perspective, like, like what's a 5 to 25 retail for with like whatever reticle? I guess for us, it's hard to, to do it as a price point because all of our optics punch well above their, their price point. But uh, Well, our, street price or yeah, whatever. Our, five to, our, our uh, 5 to 25 super short is uh, $19.99 with, with our reticle and then $21.99 if you go with one of the Horus reticles. So, so about like a, a little pole Mark five. Uh, yes, that, that but price, point, that price point, but at a higher magnification level than yeah, you five to 25. So right. 3.6 to 18. Yeah. And, and, and used, it's smaller than theirs. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, yeah, people haven't seen this. It's, it's a great, uh, like for me for hunting, I don't need 25 power. Right. Typically I won't use it, but most of my time, even as much as I hunt, like I'm at the range shooting, right. 
testing stuff, uh, you know, new ammo, new barrels, changes to the guns, whatever. And as you know, like we're shooting static target, like that magnification. Oh yeah. And, until it's a hundred degrees and you got to back off because of mirage. Like I, like yeah, if I'm I got a power whore. Oh, oh yeah. More mag the better. If right. I'm trying to shoot groups, like if I got 42 power, I'm using it. Um, so 25 is great for that. Um, yeah. So that's a great value. Those are the two scopes that I would recommend to someone that, you know, unless somebody's, well, I don't even know. Price wise, like what I would prefer to have, because a lot of the stuff, it seems like, especially in something, if you think about like a Schmidt and Bender or something, uh, or even night force, a lot of the stuff that's included in those optics that add weight and length and cost aren't important unless you're writing that for like you're you're building it to meet a government specification yeah and and even that is 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 an overblown untruth i mean the fact of the matter is we'll we'll take the pepsi challenge as far as ruggedness goes with all of them now you can break anything Mm. you know soldier break anvil with banana if you give them time right so anything can be broken the question is will it survive worst case use scenario you know if you run it over with your raptor hopefully it broke right like i don't even know if i want that optic because when i build it it's going to be heavy as hell yeah you know who you are um well i'll say i love night force optics but i generally don't use them because they're too heavy and same thing with schmidt yeah and you know if you science the shit out of it and you engineer it you can make it every bit as rugged as it will ever need to be and still be lightweight So I think a lot of that always comes off of just, I don't want to say lazy, but it, it's a combination of being lazy to get it to market and consumer acceptance. Yeah. It it weighs a pound more, but it's super rugged. You can drop it out of a helicopter and it'll still freaking fire. Well, I mean, you pick up that gun. I mean, that gun, that was, that's why the honey badger is so expensive because it's a pound lighter than anything that competes with it. And to take a pound out of something that weighs five pounds, like you gotta take it out of every part. It's a lot of engineering. It's a lot of thought that goes into it. It's way easier to make it a pound heavier. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's basically 50% of the cost is that last extra 10 to 20% mm-hmm. if you want the best product. But with, with firearms, it's, it's a strange dichotomy in our consumer base because they'll buy a firearm they're willing to spend for as light as possible. But then they go to optics, especially magnified optics, and the benchmark is US optics, right? Uh, They were the heaviest scope you could ever get, you know, 15 years ago. And they just said, well, it's because it's rugged. You know, it's, 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 you'll never break it. This sounds like the silencer industry. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, well, that's a lack of engineering. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And and what is the requirement? Like, what are you building something for? I know when I go that, cause I I do most of the product initial concept, probably like you at EOTech with a lot of things like, Hey, this is a thing I think we should, for me with the engineers, it's like, I know the, I mean, I've worked with Ethan for so long. I know the questions he's going to ask. Right. You know, what, what's the objective? What are we trying to do? Like, what's the product need to do? Make me a priority list. And, okay, then we'll make the best, lightest thing that we can manufacture, and you decide if it's affordable. And we'll go from there. You know, so so I like that attitude with engineering because we right. can end up with products that I didn't even 
think we could do. Right. Where it's really easy if you don't employ good engineers or guys that can think like outside the box or um, are interested. I mean, for me in new technology, so like a, a big pain in the ass with the head of my engineering who's worked with me for almost 15 years is he is a whore for manufacturing technology. Like mm-hmm. that's what he really likes. Mm-hmm. Like he loves cars planes motorcycles guns like all the things that dudes like and especially mechanical engineers but what he really is fascinated by is manufacturing technology whether it's 3d printing it's spraying titanium like mm-hmm. whatever it is and i think you know him being into that is a is benefited our company a lot because he doesn't care what any other company is doing gun sure. company not trying to compete and since we don't like chase military contracts now or big army stuff you know it's like okay what can we do like he gets off on doing things that haven't been done before but not utilizing some technology that we have to develop but you know technologies from other industries that are already out there you know a lot of that is like he's super into formula one you know race cars Mm -hmm. and you know they spend money on technologies and manufacturing technologies and when he sees something that can overflow into our industry you know, I think that's how we've been first to market with some products or, you know, he kind of has that mentality and, and, and leads from in that manner from engineering and design with our company. And that's exciting to me. Right. Because I can say, hey, I want this thing to do this and weigh this much. But like, I have no fucking clue how we could do it. Sure. You know? And and for you, and I think it, it, it has so much to do with the relationship that overall this time you've been able to forge with Ethan so that. Yeah. One question that never comes up with any engineer is what's the budget and how much time, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. Like you have to tell them those features, yeah. right? Because it's a never ending pursuit of how awesome can we make it? You know? Yeah. And the goal at some point has to be a viable product that yep. we can sell to fund this thing. Yep. And he, he and Nick Schaefer, who's the, well, he actually leads engineering now and Ethan's just been kind of moved to, he's the VP of engineering, but really special products or, okay. you know, special projects. Special projects. And um, Nick is, is more management. But for them, it's like, yeah, you know, that's me at the end of the day because they will keep refining something till the right. end of time, whether it's 8.6, the cartridge that we're working on. Like, it doesn't make any difference to those guys. Like, they're not getting paid more. Right. You know, you know it, it's just like, and they're not asking for it, but it's like they want to build the best thing. You know, like sure. the fixed rifle was a huge undertaking for a company our size of its design. And that thing, Nick would keep refining it till the end of time if I let him. Yep. And it's like, okay, well, how much are you going to improve? And what are you using as a basis to quantify that improvement? Right. And, you know, at the end of the day, everybody's got to get paid. Well, one of the things we did right when we got into EOTech, I think maybe by the third or fourth day, I had probably signed the 10th document approving something. And when I got the 10th, I said, I'm just not going to sign this. I'm tired of doing this. There's just too many layers of approvals. There's too many sort of incremental forms that have to be signed. Oh, and everything was, yeah, the, the, the bureaucracy and the red tape. We just, we had a meeting. We said, we're done with that. And so what we did is we separated engineering into two. Um, well, three, we have sustaining engineering too, but uh, we created a group, uh, our CTO calls Element 115, and all those guys are doing are inventing. They're experimenting, 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 trying to come up with That's something so cool. cool, underlying technology that will go into a product. They're not trying to build a product, right? Techno- oh, that's interesting. That's it, right? And then we have the engineering group that works part and parcel with Aaron when we decide, hey, this is a product that we want to build we think it's right for the market. We think it's something our consumers are demanding. 
and we're going to go through the process of just like you articulated here's the goal can we do it at the right price yeah. right and you go through that, those process iterations and you go and build that and then maybe somewhere along the way one of those things spit out of element 115 into a new product right? yeah to me that's exciting because i think you know and sometimes it's timing like sometimes we're working on something timing's not right mm. but if we truly believe whether it's in engineering or this technology if i'm knowledgeable enough about it then it's like well this is going to be a thing mm. like you know for instance you know right now 3d printing like it's the future like it, 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 so at some point in the future and it's everybody's guess now we're not going to be cutting metal from bar stock and things like that we're going to be printing stuff and i've seen in just the last couple of years you know, like production or prototype 3D printing equipment is half the price and two or three times better yeah. than it was and more efficient. So where are we going to be in five or 10 years from now? You know, and I'm doing that while I'm spending millions of dollars buying, still buying CNC equipment to cut metal. Uh, but we see at some point it's going to be 3D printing, like mm -hmm. I believe. But that's interesting thinking about because that's really where Ethan gets off is the like new technologies and mm -hmm. then it's and he's really good about it he's only worked in the firearms industry his entire life and he's in his 40s now and you know he was the first degreed engineer at sig in the u.s and yeah ethan, mm. ethan wow. was, he was only like the 86th employee or something but i mean he, he's only 41 maybe 42 and he was the first degreed engineer wow for sig in the u.s and you know but so it's all he's ever done is guns. So he's instantly, when he sees some new technology, it's like, how can I? Because it doesn't matter to him unless he can put it into something he's invested in. Mm -hmm. Right. And so it's kind of like what you're saying. And so naturally, like now, even the company our size, we have sustainment engineering, mm -hmm. and that's separate. And uh, Ethan is like special projects. Because what I found was you got these really smart guys at the company, and they do. I just like freaked out and got frustrated this past year because it's like they do you know, I have five design engineers and they're not designing anything new. They're right. doing like sustainment or they're doing all these other things. Hey, what are you doing? And um, sustainment, and all these other things. And I'm like, we pay all these guys and they're so good at their jobs. Like, you know, uh, Nick and, and Ethan, I couldn't hire better engineers for what they mm, do. Right. And, and they're working on the freaking ERP and they're doing fixturing <laughs> and they're doing like revising prints. Yeah. And for them, because you, you know too, you have some some employees who and, and just people in general who are going to do more of the bare minimum and then you right. have some of them like the only arguments i ever have with those two is like forcing them to delegate and not do shit that is keeping them from designing products it's like right well you guys are so smart and i know you have the most experience with this and you could be do this better than anyone but then you're not designing product and like your real value to this company sure. and you know like our long-term goals are for you design stuff we can sell like hire another engineer to do sustainment like right now like mm. you go home and you find them like we got the resumes and you don't come back to work until you pick one mm. you know and it's like i get in those arguments with those guys because they want to do too much and you might run into yep. that too i don't oh. know but it, all the time it, one of the other things we did that that at first aaron and his counterpart mark miller and jb i think absolutely hated me for this idea but yeah, they said it yep I, what i wanted to do is we we're really focused on a young workforce as well, you know, and, and we believe that they bring a lot of interesting new ideas and innovation to the business. And so we set up uh, an, it's sort of an online tool where they can go in and put in new product ideas, right? Oh, yeah. They've got to defend it, right? So there's a series of kind of questions that they go through to defend it. 
And then once you get it sort of an aggregate level of, you know, 10, 15 or so every couple months, Aaron and, and the team he's on have a meeting and they meet with everybody and they walk through each of them and they either say, this is rolling right into the, the product roadmap. This is a pause maybe, or no, this isn't going to work and here's why. Number one thing for me out of that is they're educating all the rest of the engineering team, the sales team, the marketing team that are coming up with these ideas on what works and what doesn't work, right? Yeah. Um, and so through that process iteration, I believe they're gonna come up with better and better ideas because they're gonna put all that in the back of their head next time they come up with an idea. And who knows, one of these days we're gonna get a gem out of them. You yeah, know? yeah, I mean it is, for me, I looked at it originally as trying to separate the company into production because that's like one mentality to me and then creative and the creative mm -hmm. for me is product design it's it's graphic arts it's marketing it's it's all the creative processes that we want to use and it's a real different mentality then and it doesn't like i hate operations like i just can't stand any of that repetitive stuff but it's so important for us mm -hmm. for right. you know uh, you know when i'm trying to build a premium brand and premium products that we can charge a premium for quite honestly mm -hmm. but people need to get still the best value. You know, we can charge the most yeah. out of anyone, but it needs to be the best value. Mm -hmm. And so we need consistency in manufacturing and all these things that I know you guys strive for. And so us mm -hmm. being a small business like me trying, when I encounter these things and the stuff that's in my nature is the creative stuff, like the operation stuff is not, and I can't stand it, mm -hmm. but it's just so necessary, you right. know, and it's what allows the business to grow. You know, it's great, you know, me, me talking to the engineers, like, that's great, you guys can design the greatest thing in the world. Like, we can't make it or, you know, consistently mm -hmm. manufacture it at a quality level, and whether that means you gotta do all this fixturing or whatever you gotta do, right. mm -hmm. and ship them and sell them and get money for them, it doesn't matter. Like, it's the most useless product mm -hmm. ever. You know, it's a big waste of time. Well, and you know, prior to when we were owned by L3 and L3 Harris, uh, it wasn't, there was no need to have uh, you know, a skunk works section yeah. for engineers, right? Yeah. Everything was about sustainment mm -hmm. period. Yeah. Like, so now that we have that and there's a, 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 there's a venue for that creative to, to no end, right? Let me just figure out some wazoo stuff. And I mean, we do have some wazoo stuff on there, but the goal is that things will trickle out of that. That'll make either core product better or, yeah. you know, technologies will emerge that make, you know, new moves. Yeah. And so I think a great example, well, first off, uh, the thing about employees, right? The hardest thing, and this is from being in the army, hell, this is from working at Subway before I joined the army, right? Yeah. All the way until, you know, last week, the hardest thing in the world is to find an employee that wants to do more tomorrow than they did today. Mm -hmm. You know, th those are those are gems. Mm -hmm. You know, those are the people that you you want to hold on to, but they're really hard to find. And I don't think it's generational. You know, people always say it's millennial and it's this and it's no, that. That's it's bullshit. human nature. Like Socrates right? was saying shit like that. Mm -hmm. Exactly. <laughs> so, uh, you know, the, the that's you know, it's a common problem. right? Well, I, I take it for granted. And I think well, for me, it's why an entrepreneur or someone who sees things because you're this way. I know I'm this way. I don't know you well enough. But it's like somebody asked me in the last podcast that that I did, like, what's what's like your biggest accomplishment? And I was like, every time it's like what comes to my mind is, fuck, I hope it's the next thing. 
you know, like I'm always mm-hmm. looking to that. And so there has to be a balance. And so for me at work, like, you know, I've got a, um, kind of my own board of directors at work, which it's a, a reality check for me all the time. They're different personalities mm-hmm. and there's a group of four, well, five technically five of them. And every time I want to do something, you know, I force myself and this is like self-imposed to go to them. Because right. I don't want to be like too crazy and out there and think, oh, we were successful at this, so I can do anything. Yeah. You know, you want to stay grounded, but like I force them to give me reasons why we can't do it. Right. Yeah. And it keeps me from doing dumb shit a lot. Yeah. I but, make great scope mounts, so I should make golf clubs. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's an important part of how True we story. operate because coming from uh, an L3 type organization, all the controls we talked about, we wanted to get rid of. But at the same time, we wanted to give people authority and autonomy to be creative and operate. But it's important to have that peer input, right? Yeah. And so that's a really important part of what we do. And sometimes people react in the organization. Wait, are you trying to put another control on me like we used to have? No, 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 that's not it, right? Communicate what you're trying to do. Get it out there in the world. Talk to your peers well, about that. Be transparent and be willing transparent to defend it. And, and be willing to defend it. And that's part of that input for them. They got to defend yeah, it. Yeah, right? and, and be open-minded enough yeah. to know that you might be wrong. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, I, I know when you talked about like corporate bureaucracy, e- even when we formed Q and Ethan Lassard and I left to do that, they tried to retain Ethan like Ron Cohen did at almost double Ethan's salary. And I remember him, he told me about it and he's like, he was so done, he would have gone and worked at Subway because he, all Ethan wants to do is create these things. And Ethan and I have a good real personal relationship. We have a good professional relationship. And I give him so much latitude. And it's my money at the end of the day. Right. And I have so much confidence in him. <clears throat> but he has to be able to do those things to, to me. He's got to be able to explain it, defend it. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, like, he couldn't even defend wanting to do 8.6 because we're not an ammo company. But I believed in him. And that it could help like our brand equity. So I supported him when it probably made better financial sense for the next five years for him to work on our next gun or whatever. Right. Hmm. But what are we trying to achieve? But he told me that Ron Cohen met with him when he put his notice in. And they offered him almost double his salary. And that Ethan was like upset, not angry at Ron, but just like upset. And he's like, you don't understand. I won't work here for any amount of money anymore because like I voiced this to you and my manager and you don't you don't hear me. All I want to do is design and create. Half my day is spent filling out your bullshit bureaucracy so mm-hmm. I can do my fucking job. Right. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I don't want to spend four hours a day mm-hmm. dealing with bureaucracy to do my job. Like yeah. I shouldn't have to do that. Right. And so I'm not interested in working here anymore. And I think, you know, that's you know, been a lot of people's mentality when a company grows because it is hard. Like you grow a company, you got a lot more people. You always have, whether it's me or who uh, Thomas, it's like you have a few assholes that break mm-hmm. rules and like it comes a liability and they're like, what do you do? And it's hard is like a business leader. You sometimes you got to deal with the people individually. And mm-hmm. like the, the thing I hate to do is make like blanket rules or bureaucracy right, right. that affects everyone yep. because you start to lose the quality of life at mm-hmm. work. And like for me, it's like 30 years in, I still get up in the morning and I can't wait to get to work. Mm-hmm. Like, I still love it. And, you know, for me, it's real simple. Like, when I sell my company, it's it's not when I've reached some financial goal. It's when I don't want to go to work anymore. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, like, for for me, I'm even though I'm getting older, still young. And it's like, I'm, I'm not ready to do that yet. And, and, and so, I, it, it takes a lot of effort to make a, a place a great place to work yeah. and provide yeah. your employees with a one of the hard life. one of the things that's hard for me i don't know if you run into it is 
a lot of times because of your role, your position, people don't want to tell you you're wrong. Oh, right? they, uh, yeah. There's Thomas and two other people that don't lie to me at work. Yeah, and and so that that's one thing that I'm. Con- I, I at the end of every sentence, I tr- I try to say, "Am I wrong about this? Tell me." You know, because if you don't tell me, it's going to happen, and then you're going to regret it because you're going to be stuck doing it. Right. And you're going to yeah. hate every minute of it. So now's the time to speak up. I try to lay that out there every time. And that's why I like working guys with Aaron, because he's not afraid to step up and say, hey, I see where you're going, but that doesn't make sense. And here's why. And you have to have that kind of group of people. And part of having that is treating every single situation as a unique situation and not creating all those blanket rules and controls. Yeah, it, it, it is tough. But I think when you have someone like Aaron or an Ethan, it's like you could, I can fire Ethan today and you can fire Aaron today. Like they're going to have a job in the morning. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you know, you're not going to. And I, and I love that. Like you can't yeah. bully someone with their livelihood right. mm-hmm. because like, OK, screw you. I'll just yeah. go work for Aimpoint mm-hmm. tomorrow or you know, who, whoever. Let's not get crazy. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, you know, and, and I enjoy that because I see it with some employees too, like is, is, is they've grown in our company and then it's okay. So you manage these departments and then it, it's hard. And I don't really understand the psychology behind it, but where some people get, it seem seemingly like nervous about their position mm-hmm. and they're trying to, you, you know, really, uh, horde and yeah and mm-hmm. you know what, what's yeah. the word i'm looking for like they, they, they're afraid that um well they start to silo information and right. what they want to do yeah. is, is be the controller and, and the keeper yeah. and what i all. want is like you're in this position because obviously i think you're valuable mm-hmm. and like a company growing a hundred percent a year it's like hey you can't you have to learn to delegate mm-hmm. and you can't withhold information and mm-hmm. you're valuable and it doesn't make you more valuable to like hoard information right, exactly or, or or not be transparent it's like okay we we already think you're smart enough and creative enough to be in these positions it's like just be transparent yeah you know for me and i think it's hard for a lot of people to think oh i'm gonna be exposed it's like yeah i thought that for 25 years in my career hmm. and all of a sudden one day it's like well shit it doesn't really matter <laughs> yeah. that's power. the worst thing you can do at eotech you you can screw up make a horrible mistake yeah. we'll work with you we'll fix it but if you try to control and hoard information and don't work with your peers. Oh, put the company yeah. first. It's yeah, it's right. like, I mean, I get in trouble constantly. And, you know, and I had to deal with something yesterday. And it's like, at my company, it's like, I want the company to be so successful. Like it, you know, the difference in, we were talking about it last night, the difference in me working another five or 10 years and me leaving today. Right. Whether it was the company sold or I just don't work anymore and the company continues and I still own it. It's just like. I just have a Gulf Stream where I don't like it doesn't mm. really affect a lot of things. It affects some freedom for me. Right. But, you know, if, if like I don't think I should be the CEO, like I don't think so. I think there's probably somebody better. I just can't haven't found them yet. Mm-hmm. But I would really love for somebody to do all the things that I suck at at the mm-hmm. company and make the company way greater. Right. You know, like I can you know, I can work w- with Thomas and the guys in marketing and I can work with engineering to come up with products, but like, I probably shouldn't do much more. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, it's a matter of finding, and, and you know, me as the owner, like I'm willing to accept that. And if I could find mm-hmm. that person and you know, I get to go hunting into the beach more and I get to have a plane. I don't mm-hmm. have, okay, that's, that's great. Let's give them all the credit in the world. Yeah. But it's right now, even if you found that guy, it wouldn't be good for you or for him or her. 
because it's still your baby, mm-hmm. right? There's still too much yeah. nurturing you need to do right mm-hmm. now. But it's a tough thing. I think the big, the big lesson, right, whether we take it that way or not, is that that entrepreneurial spirit is not inside of everybody. No. That quest for greatness is not inside of everybody. Some people are just so happy with where they are mm-hmm. that they don't want to do anything that will either expose uh. them and, you know, life lesson for everybody out there. If you're where you belong, you fucked up so far back that there's no fixing it now, right? You should be uncomfortable. You should be making yeah. decisions that you don't feel qualified to make. Yeah, because if you, if you never miss, how the fuck are you going to get better and faster and stronger? Yeah, I, I so, think if, if you're a real innovator, you're a real leader, mm-hmm. it, you're more comfortable with being uncomfortable than mm-hmm. the average person. Absolutely. Yeah, I used to teach a, a class at a university for graduating students, um, you know, interviewing how to look for a job, how to interview that kind of stuff and giving advice. And I used to start off with saying there are three people in business, people that innovate and create people that show up and work hard and don't do that. And then the third category, just don't be the third. Yeah, Every uh, business needs the first two. No business needs the third. It's Because, you know, we probably have all read a lot of books that talk about these sorts of things. But I've never heard it articulated the way you just said. But what I say is, like, if every manager at our company is doing their job, there's probably a third turnover constantly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because, you know, like, I think we have a wonderful company, a wonderful group of employees. We have a wonderful culture. But, you know, we could do a survey of the 52 or whatever people there of, you know, like the the least productive or worst employees. And it's probably 80% of them, you know, are going to answer the same. And those right. are probably people you should be trying to replace constantly. Mm-hmm. And it's probably that, you know, it's like a third that you talk about. Yeah. yeah, because, yeah, I mean, you're right. We do we do need the people that they want, you know, what's stressful for them and they deal with it compared to maybe me or you is very different. Like, I'm willing to risk everything in the world to do the next thing. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think it, there's a, a lot of people that work for me, if they had, like, my bank account, they would be fishing every day Mm -hmm. and that's fine. You know, it's like, it took me a long time to understand like why I'm driven Mm -hmm. and you know, then there's people that aren't and you need those people. Like we need way more of them than we need Mm -hmm. of me, you know, because shit, we can't even make the things we do now. We can't Mm -hmm. make enough of them. Well, yeah. And then you, then nobody would ever get their product, right? Mm -hmm. Because it would be in a constant state of making it better. We'd be bankrupt and everybody be working somewhere else. Exactly. So, I mean, we need the people that are going to, and you know, God bless them, right? They're, they're, they're yeah. the ones that make the fight, right? But really? we need the, that other side. And, and where we make a mistake on that, the leadership side is making the assumption that all of our leaders think that way, mm-hmm. right? I mean, we can look at the rank and file and their, their productivity and their workflow and the quality of their work tells you everything you need to know about whether or not they're doing a good job mm-hmm. at making widgets or putting widgets together. But yeah. when you start looking at that creative and innovative side of it, oh, it's, it's, if you start to feel like because they're empowered or in, they're in that position that they're going to do the things that you would do or you have, it, that's where we start to make the mistake mm-hmm. because there's so many people who aren't driven by the idea of success. You know, yeah. And, and well, that I mean, hurts. what is success? You, you know, I know when we had an offer on our company a couple of years ago and I was talking to my board about it 
and well, they were talking to me about it more like it, but <laughs> you know, I, I was for them like the the rest of the board has like lots of money, so like our money doesn't change their life at all, right? And plus, they own small percentage, and th- they said, you know, what they said to me at the end, there's a couple things they said. They said, listen, we invested in you, and if you're done working, sell the company. It's a great return. We're very grateful. It doesn't change our lives, though. It cha- mm-hmm. like The amount of money probably changes your life. Right. You know, most of the company. And so th- one of them, the private equity guy is real smart, asked me this. And it's like the only thing he said in it is other than agreeing with that. He's just like, you know, we invested in you. So if you're done and you want to go hunt and fish the rest of your life, mm-hmm. let's sell the company. We're grateful. Right. If you're not done working, why would you sell the company? Like, you've gotten through the hard part of, yep. like, you know, because for the like the non-creatives, developing a product that there's a demand for, um, marketing the product to create the demand, you know, those are the hard things for right. like, non-creatives. And they said that to me, and he just says, because, you know, he's always been, like, he's always measured by just uh, the metrics. It's just financial. And he says, well, what's your, what are your financial goals? And I was like, Gulf Stream. Mm-hmm. I, I was just like, well, what do you mean? And he's like, you know, ask me. And I was like, I don't. I don't like, I don't know. Like I don't have, like I live kind of a normal life except mm-hmm. for like my hunting. Like I don't have any debt or anything. Right. And he's like, well, and they, he had to like break it down for me. He's like, okay, if you had all the money in the world, what's, what's the thing you would buy? You think would change? I was like, I want a fucking plane. And he's like, that's a stupid financial decision. <laughs> like you buy a share in a plane. I was like, nah, oh, I was like, I'm a pirate. You know, like I want, you know, if my homie calls me, you know, if Aaron calls me and says, Hey, it's noon. He's like, hey, we're having a party at 6 o'clock tonight. Come on. Like, I want to be able to do that. That changes my quality of life. Right. It's like it's not for the gram. It's for that actually changes my quality of life. Mm-hmm. Or I could go hunt every single weekend. I get an invite. But, you know, you got to fly a commercial. It's like an ordeal. And it's like so, so that was like the first time, you know, at 46, I thought yeah, about like you what ever are my put actual it financial into goals. Those terms. Right. And then I was like, well, that's stupid. Like what asshole needs a plane? But then I thought, well, also, like, the things that drive me, like, the creativity. And for me, it's, like, good. And I think this way, because, like, I have no problem being driven creatively. Like, that's just in an abundance in my head. But financially, like, I've just been spoiled enough to where, like, and I hate money. I hate, like, I don't like dealing with my money. I don't like, like, I don't even, I can't even pay my, I haven't paid my bills probably in 20 years, like, my household bills, because it stresses me out. It doesn't matter how much money I have. Like, right. when I see that. Like, oh, my God, my utility bill is this. Like, fuck this. I got to sell Fucking this house. Fucking Hulu went up a <laughs> dollar a month. What the I, fuck? I know. I know. Uh, like, my assistant showed me, like, how much cable cost the other day. And the last mm. time I paid a cable bill, it was like $25. It's like, cable's like 300 bucks. I was like, where the fuck do I have cable? <laughs> but you only had, like, 13 channels then. I know. So, yeah. I was like, I just need, like, YouTube. And I, I had no nothing. So I'm like... You know, Tori, do I, do I have to have cable to have YouTube on my television? She's like, you're such an idiot. No. <laughs> I said, like, cancel the cable right now. $300. Yep. I, I can see that. Yeah. And, and so for me, but having the financial goal, what, what it's done, so I went off on another tangent, is it makes me think more like a CEO because it's like, okay, I have a financial goal, so that drives me for the company to be you know, effective financially, mm-hmm. make good financial decisions and grow that part of the business, which in the end is good for everyone. Mm-hmm. Sure. And, you know. and, you know, I, I hope you'll take this from a, from a place of love, which is where it generates. Uh, and it's based on my years of knowing. Wait you. a minute. Uh, yeah. Take another, mm-hmm. take a boot shot. 
Uh, no, um, it, it's great that you finally were able to to put that financial portion in there because now you'll know what right looks like next time it comes around and it will come around, right? And it saves so much stress because now you know an offer that you don't even have to consider, right? I mean, yeah. the right offer is still going to take a lot more thought. But what I would tell you is that even if it was 100% over that number that you have mentally clocked in and you said, fuck yeah, it's out of here, you'd be one of those dumb motherfuckers who sold their house in the last five months because the market was just ridiculous and they could get so much equity out of their home and didn't realize they needed to buy another fucking home mm -hmm. and they were going to pay at that same price that they just sold at. So they didn't even get a chance to bump up because all you're going to do is start 2016 all over again because it ain't out of you yet. Well, fuck you, Aaron. But you're also <laughs> right. But I think where you're wrong is, yeah, I'm, I'm too young and not enough into fishing yet to stop working. Well, the young but, part. Uh, also, I thought about well, I don't medical technology. They might be able to cyborg my ass and I live well, to be I've always believed that you're only as old as the women you sleep with. So. <laughs> oh. <laughs> you're good. I know. You got a you got a second you got a second chance. Yeah, second right? chance. But this is what I thought about with the house. Like this house during that, but it's unusual the area we are and there's only four or five houses in the school district kind of like this one and I'm like, "Oh, my kids are gone. Like, I'm here by myself. This place is ridiculous. You know, the, the honest reason that I didn't sell it and get, like, a more appropriate house for just me? Because I want to go north, too, and live on, like, a lot of land where I can have, like, a thousand yard for my porch. And right. That. And it's here. I can do it. The real reason I didn't do it was I would burden Tory so much with, like, the move because I have so much stuff. Right. That I was afraid, like, it would ruin her life for a year or she would quit. <laughs> and I just felt, like, unfair about it. And I was like, yeah, I don't really need to move. It's, who cares? Yeah. Well, this, this home fits your life. Like, it's perfectly laid out. It's perfectly situated. And there's always the opportunity to buy that land, build that range, and put a, you know, put a place on it. Right? Aluminium. I mean, you're balling like that. Yeah. Like, you don't, you don't, you don't have to fucking play the. The, the peaks and valleys you just fucking do what you do no but it was like i like i think enough about money where it was like well geez that's a this market is stupid i should mm, yeah you know because when i bought it it was for like me and the three kids and two dogs right. and you know they're all a year apart and they're like starting to enter high school at the time and it's like i want a place where all their friends can be here and they want to hang out and Right. And now it's just like, I don't Look, know. I use everything as a storage room. I have zero roots in Columbus, Georgia now. You know, my kids are off in schools. They got their own lives. I've got way more house than I need. I would sell that home in a second and move if I didn't have to move my shit. Uh -huh. If I could just start over, it yeah. would happen tomorrow. But I don't have a Tory, and I'm way too fucking lazy to move. So this is where I got you guys beat. I live near a dump and I have a free dump pass. And one of the most oh. things I am most proud about is they know me at the dump. I don't even know to show, need to show them my pass when I drive up. Oh, you up. just pull up and they're like, what's yeah. up? Yeah. My, my wife thinks I'm crazy for it, but it's phenomenal because if I haven't touched something in six months, it's right on the way to the office. Like I just jump in. 
jumping yeah, off the dump and, and, I, and I'm it's moving. Crazy. And, you know, the thing about it is we have this big, beautiful property and trees surrounding. You can't see any neighbors. It's it's lovely there. But Seems you nice. look over in the, you know, the backyard and you can see the dump. You see the backside of it. We don't catch any smell of it. But as soon as that dump's capped in seven or eight years, you know, property value is going to go way up. People are going to start moving in and I'm going to get out of there and I'm going to get out of there fast because I've dropped everything off at the dump. <laughs> yeah, right. That's a good idea. I can't do it. It's pirate life. I just burn stuff. Yeah. Still a pyromaniac. Um, well, what? Okay. So, well, hold on. Don't don't change subjects yet. Yeah, one more. Uh, so, many, many moons ago, okay. the U.S. Army used to have parallel paths for enlisted. They had the specialists, and then they had the NCOs, right? So, now... E4 is a specialist or a corporal. So a specialist is in charge of stuff and a corporal is in charge of people, right? Yeah. But after E4, if you're advancing, you're, you're a non-commissioned officer, right? So you're in charge of people. Engineers, uh, as, a, as a collective, right? Yeah. Um, regardless of their discipline, are generally not geared toward the people aspect of the job, like actually managing people and, and leading people. They're That's more such a gift. They're more on the stuff, right? Yeah. And so we you know, that's why there's so many shitty bosses out there. Because in order to advance, and, and I don't mean that by owners, right? I don't mean that by entrepreneurs the shitty entrepreneurs are the ones who don't realize that they suck at something, right? That you were really good and that's why you started this business and you were great at it. That's why it's successful. But what do you suck at? Did you hear Aaron compliment me right there? Yeah, it was, it was good. Uh, and so uh, it'd been better if you hadn't pointed it out, you know, people could have just, but anyway, yeah, maybe the dense. So <laughs> Silicon Valley's figured it out. Right. Yeah. Because in Silicon Valley, they have all of these really goofy titles for software engineers and hardware engineers so that they can continue to advance so that they they drive. Right. And they're at a VP level, but they're not in charge of anything. They're still independent contributors. And the rest of uh, certainly our industry, but in so many other industries really hasn't caught up to that, that. People need to be challenged in order to have a goal, right, to, to be able to advance. But if the advancement is that I now have to manage people and I fucking suck at managing people, mm -hmm. That's a gift, I don't man. want it. It is. And not everybody has it. And you mm -hmm. shouldn't want everybody most, to have most it. Most people don't. No. And, but there has to be a place for those people. There mm -hmm. has to be yeah. something, something to aspire yeah. to, somewhere else to go to. And so I think that... For me, that's kind of the challenge, especially when dealing with our team of engineers, is I don't want to stifle your creativity, but I need you to focus on this. And that's the kind of thing where we, the fuck is the shark fin? Uh, wrap it up. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. You no, need a light for that shit, okay? Yeah, I got it. Yeah, so whatever. We're done. He fucked up the move. No, 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 we're not done. We're fucking done. I said we're done. The, the, to end his thought, I can end it for him, is it's all about managing output. Exactly. Right. 
So you don't have to manage people to strive in your career at EOTech. Right. But what you get the opportunity to is manage output, manage a project, something that is going to significantly contribute to the business. Right. right? And and that's the key. But who you manages gotta, the people that handle all that? Well, that's I mean, what but, I struggle with But that's with a all smaller, that's a, you know, you're looking at a smaller group, right? Mm-hmm. Instead of, you know, everybody has, you know, a freaking, uh, uh, everybody has a, a, a group of uh, or a team that they lead in order for them to get where they're trying to get to in order to get to this director level or this this next level of of pay and skill when all they really want to do is focus on a program they want to be mm-hmm. a contributor to that so you can make teams that are broader and deeper and have less oversight mm-hmm. than what the traditional structure is where you've got a VP and then a director or two and then individual managers who have two or three people on them. And now you're all trying to get up to this next position, but the next position is leading people. And all you really want to do is contribute to your mm-hmm. shit. I see. It's cause I hate the traditional model of it, it. It seems like from an HR perspective, we've got an HR department, even in our size and it's, Oh, well people want this and it's all about salary and that. And you know, we have employees and it's not just me where, you know, like Nick Schaefer, he was the lead engineer of the, the fixed rifle. He went through three rounds of raises. Hang, hang on, baby, hang on one second. We'll go out there. He, he ain't going anywhere. Someone finish this up. I'll, I'll walk you out, okay? So, um, um, where, where I realized, like, what a fucking treasure he was for managing people is he went through three rounds of raises where he turned it down and asked me to give it to his guys mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. beneath him. He's like, I have the greatest job in the world. I make more money than I need. He's like, you know, you'll take care of me if something happens mm-hmm. one day or even if you don't, like these guys need it more than me and it's mm-hmm. not going to like change anything right. in my life or my work ethic. Like you giving me the freedom to be the lead designer on this gun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, to where I don't have to deal with eight levels of bureaucracy. And that to him was way more valuable than money. Right. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's it's like that's the problem managing people. You got him and then you got yep. people that, well, you know, they're not doing another fucking thing. Exactly. And there is ball. no one size fits all motivator. No. Right. It's not so necessarily money. Sometimes I'll, it's responsibility. I'll wrap it up a quick story. A similar story. We had a guy that came into my office and said, thank you so much. I, he was going through cancer treatments. Mm-hmm. He said, thank you so much. I didn't work for months. You paid me my full pay. Everything was taken care of and I'm cancer free. I really appreciate it. I had no idea. Okay. This is why it's important is the manager felt knew that, that it they was the had right the responsibility to do. to do the right thing and they didn't even have to ask me. That's of course I would have said manager. yes, right? Yeah. It's those kind of people that you want to make that's sure you never let manager. them go. Yeah. yeah, that's a great manager. But it's, it's tricky because you have people that take advantage of it. Right. But yeah, yeah, I mean, that's the cool thing about managers is because like you and I said, like everybody lies to us. Nobody tells us what's going mm-hmm. on. If you have managers, hopefully they're entrenched, you know, and, and have a relationship with their people to where they know these sorts of things. Right. And they know who's taking advantage and who's yep. not. Where everybody's super nice to me at work, but mm-hmm. I don't know. There's probably a dozen shit asses. I just yep. don't know because they lie to me. <laughs> oh, you know what we, we got lost on as I went on like another rant and tangent? I think we got lost on everything. It's so fun, <laughs> though. I, I don't, it's such a, con- a difficult editing job. It's a, No, it's a conversation amongst friends. We're, um, but you guys are coming out with a, a new line of magnified optics. Mm-hmm. So did Aaron pitch? Who pitched this to you? Is a good idea. 
Because I think, wait, I can't sorry. remember who specifically pitched it, to be honest. Because the one to 10 is only a street price of what, like 1200 bucks or something? Th- 12, 1300 bucks, yeah. That mm-hmm. is, I mean, it's a lot of money. Mm-hmm. But people spend, I mean, you know how it is. They spend three grand on their AR. I'll go, sure. Oh, can't spend that much on optics. Sure. Idiot. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of money, but it's not. You For know, that technology and that performance, that turret, the reticle you guys did, titties, everything about it. And, you know, I'm not, like, I didn't like the one to eight. Yeah. I liked it from one to six, but then you had a one to six. The one to six you guys did is phenomenal. Um, and, you know, and things that matter to me with it. And I think some subtleties and, you know, not that I'm, you know, I ain't Kyle Lamb or whatever, but like I use a gun and an optic more than most people at this sure. point. And for serious things, it's not like most of the time I'm not hunting dangerous games or things that can kill me. But it is like after I travel halfway around the world, I spend right. tens of thousands of dollars. Like it's got to work. It, it is important to me. Yeah. And that one to ten or the five to twenty-five. A couple of the engineers, the five to twenty-five. That's what they have on their fix. It's their favorite optic for it, even for hunting. Yeah. And for me, for hunting, I like a lower magnification because I want one gun where I shoot like fifty yards to six hundred, seven hundred yards. Right. And so I like a little more on the low end target shooting. Like it would be fine to me if it were the minimum of a seven power, like target shooting. I'm never using low, but anyway, magnified optics. So you got that. So you guys are coming out with, um, so is it based on like the six X erector? You're coming out with like a, a lower price point, but all the great features. Uh, yes. Um, we're going to do, we, we have a number of, of, uh, little things that we're really doing to, to kind of help control pricing. So, as a great example, typically um, the hunting market space mm-hmm. likes like you're an anomaly, but I think you're an anomaly because of all of your earlier experiences. Yeah, with I first found hunting plane. later in life. Right. Yeah. Uh, but most of those guys who, who kind of, you know, s- say that our price point's too high, they're looking for a second focal plane. You know, they, they want that consistency of reticle size. They're not... Uh, trying to you know mill a target and those kind of things so we're going to go with second focal plane which is you know much easier for production um oh so it is so so a lot of the cost difference is just production costs a a significant amount because i'm ignorant yeah a a significant amount Uh, and then also by using 4x and 6x erectors uh that is you know those are uh Saying they're less precise is, is kind of an, an overstatement for it, but uh, they're easier to manufacture. They're they're more well-known. We can buy them in, you know, well, okay. not like a 1 to 10. Well, right? well, let's stop there. When we say 4 or 6X erector, so that would mean a 1 to 4 scope or a 2 to 8 scope or, you know, a, a 3 to 12 for a 4X. So exactly. just multiply the the. the, yep. the the four X multiplier or your six yeah. X multiplier, and then six would be the same way. Right. And so, you know, now it seems like becoming sort of a standard for you know, like a top end, high end scope is is a ten X erector. But w- why why is that more expensive once you've figured out how to to manufacture it? Why is it more expensive, or are you paying for the R and D to develop the ten X? No, well, you're paying for the R and D to develop the ten X. Yeah, but then you're also paying for a lot more lenses. Every one of those oh, it has more lenses. Has in more it. lenses in it. Uh, the camming action is further because you're going, you know, a full ten times greater, right? So okay, so it's sort of like with the fix, we're, we're 
with a 45 degree bolt throw rather than a 90 degree we're accomplishing the same task right oh, yeah um but so it's with this and and it's expensive mm -hmm. right and so and the more lenses you have the more precise your prescription on each lens has to be more oh, precise okay. so placement. it makes more sense now we have more lenses and so then you know the lenses in any optic like that's mm -hmm. critical but now you got to do it three or four times more right oh and, okay and yeah then, i mean it makes total sense right and, and, and that scope's not too heavy no it's not i mean and the and glass is most the weight it seems like an optics, the glass yeah? is yeah the glass is pretty much all your weight when it when it comes to an optics yeah. uh, uh if you're if you're designing it properly yeah right because yeah. it's cheaper to just leave super thick wall aluminum right and yeah. say it's for strength and durability uh it's it's easier to do those things than it is to manage that weight properly and put it on a diet and make it something that's that's worth having and then also uh the more lenses you put in it so the higher you go with that that erector the smaller your exit pupil is going to be because you're you're shrinking that light down more and more and more and more you're also taking away more and more light because so every time it hits air or a lens you're losing some percentage of that visible light and we we get by that by doing, you know, coatings. Yeah, right? I was going to say, is it yeah. coatings so, like Swarovski, for instance? Right, but I, I can brighten the image. I, there's things that I can do to manipulate it on the way through. Yeah. But but the more lenses, the more polishing, the more the lower the tolerance. Yeah, so my menu. So as you get up and up and up and up, there's economies of scales that that helps four X's and six X erectors and well, three X erectors. But then there's also just real price there. How yeah, there's labor. Well, yeah. I, I think in terms of, um, you know, like you and I both like cars, but with like a new Corvette, you know, you probably get 95% of the performance now out of like a comparable Ferrari or Lamborghini, but you're paying triple for that last 5%. Yep. And, and it's not for and those who buy it would say it's well worth it. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah of course. Okay. So, so I see. Well, that makes way more sense to me. You educated me again on mm -hmm. some of that. Um, yeah, what a yeah. so put more we, lenses in there. So we're doing that, right? And so, that's that's a big deal, right? It's I don't want to I, I I don't want to downplay it, right? Swarovski it's doesn't a have deal. a 10x erector. They also won't go to a 34 mil tube, so I can dial more because you know it's a problem. Is I'm you know about to go to Africa this week, and I'm killing stuff with subsonic 86 right here, which we've talked about. Well. I mean, I can't even dial unless I have a 20, 30, 40 MOA rail or wow. mount. I can't even dial to 300 in a Swarovski with a 34 mil tube on y'all's. Right. I right can. in there. I can go to probably 400. Right. Um, and and a, uh, it all comes down to optimization of the design, yeah. right? And so that 1 to 10 was our first iteration on it. The next one will be better. What we do with the 5 to 25 platform next will be even better and bigger. But what we're looking to do is, is, you know, we're not trying to cover every base, right? We don't want to have a catalog that's just prolific and goes from $99 up to, you know, four or $5,000. There's plenty yeah. of companies that have done that and they're, they're very successful with it. But we kind of know our lane and we want to stay there. Yeah. But there's enough demand and we see an opportunity to be able to provide a better product at inside of that price point yeah, to meet yeah. those consumer needs yeah using some proven technology you guys have with a what well, i don't even know if without you guys ever did a 4X, but yeah 6x erector right so 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 you're going to have a line of scopes it'll be 
they're going to be what? They're going to be like two to eight. They're going to be two to twelve. They're going to be two to twelve for sure. It's uh, a great hunting scope. Two it's to phenomenal. That, right? that range you can shoot to seven hundred meters or shoot something at twenty five meters. And you know, so that's that's kind of where we want to go. Like the the most sold scope out there is the three to nine, right? But it's ridiculous. Um, the I think the the average price point on them, you know, across you know that whole spectrum is like one ninety eight or something like that. That you know the high end is like four ninety nine. Oh. So if you want to get into that and play in that, uh, it, it's just a race to the bottom, right? And we're not trying to play in that. So we want to give we want to give the consumer, you know, what they need and demand, but we want to do it in a way that allows us to be innovative. You know, I, yeah. I, I'm sure I said it on the last podcast because I say it all the time, but my favorite quote for product development was from Henry Ford. He said, if I asked my customer what they wanted, they'd have said a faster horse. horse. Yeah. So we always hear that what they want is what a, a derivative of what they already have, you know, and what yeah. we're trying to do is say, we can do better. It'll perform where you want it to be. It's going to meet your end user needs, but we're going to do it better. And if we can't do it better, then why do it? You know? Yeah. I mean, I mean, better it's, you know, that's relative to the category, but I I will say, I mean, you think like you you just said, you guys are going to do a a two to 12 and will you have like a, a, a dot or a lit reticle or anything and something like that? Because because I I say that because the last scope that Swarovski sent me, which I've used and I love for hunting, and it's not super compact, but it's a 1.7 to 13.3. And so, you know, I guess that's probably an 8X. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a phenomenal power range, and I can shoot any distance that is reasonable with Swarovski. With Swarovski, without having, like, MOA rail and mount, you can't really go beyond like six maybe 650 yards right. for hunting and sometimes i shoot farther but but that power range like i'll shoot that far so like a two to 12 like that is so practical right for me yeah. um no it, it's gonna be it, it's gonna be way better than a three out. to nine yeah and and it may not work for you because you are you know uh, you're really into first focal plane so people that are really into second focal plane switching them over to first focal is is usually scary, especially on the low end. Yeah. And for, you know, if you're designing a scope that is low power variable and it's a first focal plane, it's difficult because optimizing that reticle is super hard, yeah. right? I need to be able to find it fast on one power and not be looking through a screen door on the high power. So with the two to 12 being second focal plane, I can optimize that reticle and give you what you're looking for for hunting without having to worry about, you know, changing sub tens and that kind of thing. So it's easier to develop on that end as well. What what, what about turrets? Are you going to lose much with the turret? You mean as far as uh, adjustment range? Yeah, zero no. stop. Like So you'll uh, more than likely on this first gen, we're going to do uh, capped windage mm-hmm. and... I'm fine with capped windage. Probably a capped elevation that's a target turret, so it'll be very similar in styling and size to our one to six, but you can throw a cap on it as well. All right, so first and second second focal plane. Right. So, so for those listening. The easiest way to, to uh, tell the difference is when you're looking through the scope and you adjust the magnification, 
if the reticle grows or if it increases or decreases with the magnification, then that reticle is on the front focal plane. So that front focal plane is the first place that uh, the light actually enters. So it's where it's on the front end of the erector and we're manipulating that beam of light all the way through the erector, all the way through the eyepiece. The difficulty of that is all of your precision happens at the reticle lens, right? So wherever that reticle is placed inside of that scope, that is now, you know, what you're aiming, where all your precision lies, right? So if I have it in the front of, at the beginning of my focal plane, my rector and all the other lenses have to be perfectly optically aligned and perfectly in time and in tune with that first place that that light beam actually you know comes in contact why do you want it why do you want that well because if you're trying to uh mill a target or use use your stadia line yeah measure a target using your reticle uh or um using your reticle to hold wind or to hold off for distance right if i put it on the second focal plane which is easier. It's the last place that that light hits before it goes into my eyepiece. It's a stationary point, right? There's no movement from it. So whatever happens up here doesn't matter as much because I've already manipulated the image. So at this point, I just need to make sure that it is still in direct line with wherever my erector is. And that's fine because it's attached to my erector, right? But it doesn't move. So it's easier. But since it doesn't grow with the image because it's after the erector, that means that the subtins on it, so the lines, the stadias, the marks that are in there, they're only accurate at one magnification. Now, generally, that magnification is going to be the top end. So like on our 1 to 8, our stadia lines and hold-offs, they're accurate at 8x. But when you go down to 1x, they're not because my reticle stayed the same size, but my target image reduced in size, which means my holdoffs aren't there. So you can still use the same, um, you can still use the same techniques to measure and to hold off, but you're, you're, the, you're, you're subtending only at one magnification. But if I'm in a first focal plane, I, my subtends is exactly the same no matter what magnification I'm in. So if each one of my lines is one mil, they're always one mil. Okay, so in a first focal plane, mm-hmm. you can measure any magnification. A second, you can only measure at one magnification. Correct. What? Okay, so it seems like first focal plane is way better in every regard. Why would someone want, a consumer want, a second focal plane? So most... Uh, everyday shooters, like the people who purchase those uh, three to nine powers, right? Just the guy who's going to put it on his 30 out six to go deer hunting. He's not measuring. He's not, if anything, he's probably using hold offs or Kentucky windage to, to take that shot because, you know, he's got a hundred yard zero and that's what he knows, right? So there's consistency in that, um, in that reticle because it's presenting you the exact same image no matter what magnification you put it on. So whether you're at three power or at nine power, 
the reticle looks exactly the same. So in your mind, all you did was bring the target closer, right? Plus, because it's easier to manufacture, they're cheaper. So as soon as you go to the first focal plane, you're spending more money from a development standpoint, from a manufacturing standpoint across the board. So those products, if they're quality, they're going to cost more. So you have to pay more for it. And the target in the reticle is inconsistent. So it's really small at one power and really big at six or. Well, let me ask you this. I was talking about that 1.3 to 1.7 to 13.3 Swarovski that they sent Mm -hmm. me. Like that is a, I don't know, MSRP, but I think it's probably 32 or 34, $3,600. Like it's expensive. Why aren't they doing, in in your estimation, uh, first focal point? You know, I... Because they can clearly for, charge for them, a premium, yeah. and and they and they can clearly do first focal plane, right? They have some good scopes that are are set up that way. Uh, really, I oh they do I, already. Yeah, oh, they, I are, are, I've seen some. Now, oh, whether yeah, they're I, in I don't the, know that I've seen them. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I'm I'm not sure why they why they don't. Other than again, market data says that the people who are purely in it for hunting yeah. want a second focal plane. And so it's if more you're used to it, because I mean, yeah, clearly they're a hunting right. company. And, and like that's what yeah. they're, you know, you're buying a $4,000 blouser rifle, then you want a, you know, an equivalent scope to go on top. Otherwise you're going to be the laughing stock of the lodge. Yeah. So second focal is, you know, as soon as you do the market data, if you're making a sportsman's line, second focal plane's the way to go. Because I, I will say that one to 10 that you guys do, is so tits because you know one power you basically well you have a circle and a dot sort right. of like is, is that what it is circle yep, and dot. circle dot yeah just just like your holographic sight yep. so it's fast. and then you go out and you i think you've got a dot with a bdc so you can oh, like and, and i mean it's, it's phenomenal it's right. it's basically like having two or three optics in one in optic because it's at one power it's not it's close but like this with the field of view and that wide screen sure. and everything that's just like having something floating out in the air right. that's on the target. That's great. And to me, a step down from that is like an aim point, like that aim point mm-hmm. micro where it is a small tube you look through and there's a dot. And for me, like, and it's probably not everyone, but I, I would, well, I would say in America, a lot of people pick hunt now. Like that's a popular yeah. thing. Sure. And for me, if you tell me we're going to shoot a whitetail, I mean, honestly, if I'm in a high seat, like a, 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 a climbing stand or I'm in a blind and we're going to shoot max a hundred yards aim point micro perfect for me but if you tell me we're going to shoot pigs or any movers or anything like that right I would pay triple to have the circle and a dot in that wide screen you know and that's from experience I didn't know until I went and you know and I shoot a lot of animals in Africa inside of a hundred yards and sometimes 200 yards it's typically a mover I'm shooting Right. And and so the target acquisition of the circle with the dot is just so much faster because it seems like, oh, there's a dot. You find it quick. No. When like a second matters, you pull that up and you search for the dot. You don't right. ever search for that fucking circle. Nope. Mm-hmm. Nope. You know, and I find myself and, you know, I've talked to you about it over the years and stuff, but understanding the optic and, it, and it's like it's subconscious. You don't even realize it. But after you use it some, whether you're shooting still and I'll go to my range and I shoot still and. You know, you always start out and you go back to papers. Like, I'm just trying to make the hits. Right. And then, like, throughout the day, it's, I need to be faster. I need to be faster. And by the end of the day, I'm shooting three times as fast as, like, my first run. Right. And and what I see at the end of the day is I put the circle on the target. I don't even look for the dot. 
it's like line that thing up pretty close in the circle because for hunting or a practical application even Mm self-defense like i'm not trying to shoot a a half inch group at 100 right like i'm trying to put a shot in vitals which can be you know if we're talking about a human or we're talking about an elk you got some leeway and a lot of times like that split second matters a ton absolutely and even if we get away from the 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 fact that you know the holography you know tricks your eye into believing that the reticles on the same plane as the target the other big issue is the off-axis you know ability to 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 have a complete field of view and a reticle so as soon as you start with a tube system or any magnified view is you've got that exit pupil and you've got to get your you've got to get that exit pupil over your entire pupil otherwise it shades so Throwing a rifle up and looking through it, even on one power, is never going to be as fast as having a true 1X optic because I still need to get some cheap placement. I still need to get my yeah, eye directly behind absolutely that optic. Not with this, that. I don't need to do that. Well, let me ask you that when we were talking about, because I'm really ignorant to a lot of the optical stuff. The first focal plane, second focal plane, does your eye box change based on that or is that or, or does it just change based on a rector it, or what what determines like your eye box? And, then, and what I think that means is basically when I shoulder a gun, I got my, my cheek on the stock and I'm looking like the distance from the rear of the scope to my face. Mm-hmm. Like it seems like a, a scope that I really liked years ago was the Leupold Mark Six. I think it is a Mark Six, one to six. Is yes, it, is they that had the, the they had the six, and then at the right after that they had the eight, yeah, the, the CQBSS, big the heavy big giant one. Yeah, but the lightweight six that was cool. It was one of the first, I think, like. I you think know, it was one, one of the first one true one to six, right? And they had a dot, and they had some good reticles, but that dot under recoil looked like it was shutting off yeah but i think it it, if i'm have my terminology and all correct it's just like the eye box was so small Mm -hmm. under recoil your eye would actually move out of that eye box a sweet spot to where you could see it the whole time and you would lose the dot and it looks like the battery's failing or it's shutting off but actually i think it was just under recoil your eye comes out of that eye box it's so short that it made the scope annoying well see i'll say this mostly for your listeners because you, you say you don't understand optics and stuff but you use the term like eye box and i would say that the average consumer doesn't know what eye box is right they look at things in terms of eye relief so oh. there is now what you say is is absolutely right but what most people look at is what's the eye relief right so how far away do i need to be but inside of that there is a box right that is yeah four and a half right and so and left and right so the larger that so what you're actually doing at that eye relief level so i like to say once the image has been processed right because we're we're taking light we're taking photons we're doing a bunch of shit with them and we're passing that image through a reticle or a wire, whatever we're using in there as an aiming point, right? That we can adjust. And then we're sending it through an eyepiece, which is gonna invert it and send it out to our eye. And when it comes out that end, there is, it's what we call the objective pupil. So if we took a scope right now, a magnified optic, set a piece of paper on the table, you could stand it up with the objective facing up and move it back and forth in the light. And at one point, you're gonna see where 
all that light coalesces into a single circle. And when that light coalesces to that single circle, that is your, that's where your eye relief starts. When it opens back up or becomes an amoeba, that's where your eye ends. box stops. All right. Oh, so okay. that's where you're going to I didn't get know there was a way to, to, to actually yeah, you can take a look do at that it. for like a layman. And, I, and honestly, uh, if you're sitting at home right now and bored to shit or later on you are, grab that same piece of paper, grab a, your best scope and your shittiest scope. And look at the quality of that circle. Uh, it'll tell you so much about the quality of the glass and, and the, the coatings and, and the coatings stuff. and what it does to the light. Oh, it, really? You, so, layman sheet of paper can do this in the light and mm-hmm. see see a difference. You'll you'll notice the difference, and that huh. that and it's noticeable enough that you can. It helps you rationalize the added expense <laughs> of a good. Yeah. Right. Without uh, without even knowing, because that's a tougher one unless you go shoot in low light. You know, yeah. that's the thing about hunting and probably where Swarovski has spent so much time and energy on coatings and, and the actual glass, because so much hunting, especially North American hunting, happens at daylight and right. at dusk. Yep. And, and that's where it's critical, especially as your eyes get 40. And well, and so. that's why that's why the, the typical consumer, you know, to this day is going to ask the guy behind the counter about light transmission. Right. And that becomes a huge metric in which scope I'm going to uh, select. It seems like Leopold did a big push on that to like educate consumers at, at some level when they went from a very X2 to a very X3 back in the day. Right. Because it was a way to justify you spending more money and getting a new loophole scope. Yep. Isn't it interesting that, you know, like 30 years ago, like you bought a hunting rifle scope and that was a scope you would have the rest of your life. Rest of your life. And I've still got my same Bushnell on my same 30 out six. You did. I, my first was a 308 A-Bolt and it's got a very X2, three to nine on it and it's still on there. Of course, I would never use it or shoot it now, but. And I'm sure that Bushnell I have is like twenty four ninety nine at Kmart. And <laughs> I probably a, waited for the blue light special and bl- got it for less than that. Blister pack right? came with rings and exact, a pocket knife. Everything, uh. right? Uh, but, you know, the, the truth is we can manipulate that. You know, it's no different than the suppressor industry, right? Yeah. Where I set up my uh, microphone ad and all these other things, I can manipulate those results and say, you know, what, what that dB reduction really is. You can do the same thing with light, right? Well, I, I think this because, you know, I've, I've got more of a history and understanding with silencers. But when it comes to like light transmission, we start talking about iBox and some things. To me, it's like talking about the inside of the silencer or the sound. It's like, yeah, maybe. But if you don't have them side by side. Right. The fuck do you know? But one thing like I love when, when I got when Swarovski sent me the first scope, they were doing their Z6 series. So okay. six or and their turret where it had like the colored dots where you could set for yards for hunting mm-hmm. makes so much sense because I had zero at 100 at my next dot. It's a different color on my turret was 200 and then I could set the next one for three, four, five. Okay. And yeah. then it's like if it's 350, you just go right in between. If it's 325, you just bias a little past the three. You know, it was perfect for hunting because right. you're trying to hit vitals. And but, it, you know, they came out with the Z8 and. In that regard, so you have an 8x erector. Mm-hmm. So that's better. You get, you know, wider range magnification. But the turret on that, if you order like their tactical turret, I don't know what the hell they call it, but it snaps on and off and it's just got these little rings and it's got a number on it one, two, three, four, five, six. And, you know, I can set that. So 
I can use my ballistic app and, you know, get my muzzle velocity and enter all the stuff. And I'm like, oh, and it gives me a rough, okay, here's your dope. Then I go to the range, I go to my range, and I shoot still at those, and I get my exact dope. And then I can adjust that. And so when I'm hunting, it's like, oh, I think I'm shooting something at 50 yards, so I've got 100 yards zero, so just, you know, put the dot on it, shoot. Oh, shit, well, there's something at 450 yards. So mm-hmm. all I do is do between the four and the five, and bam. So right. for hunting or a practical use, even if you're shooting steel targets, like I really love that turret. And to me, that turret is worth, to me, as much as the quality of the glass in a Swarovski. Right. Like that, that's a real innovative thing. But I think from a consumer standpoint, that's something that you can use and you can understand and someone can show you, you know, to where if you have a cap turret and then you go do the thing and there's no zero right. stop or any of that. And they did a great job too, how easy it is to set the zero stop. Cause I, I've got, um, Probably a night force if you're about to say about zero stop set or well, almost impossible. You need a PhD for well, that. Is it hard to? Because what I'm actually well, thinking. Well, they're, they're newer stuff I don't know about, but I know it, they're it, they're original. And when the beast came out, that thing, it, it took. It's probably terrible because same time frame. What I'm thinking of is on one of my uh, MSR rifles, the Remington MSR. Mm-hmm. It had, and they don't make it. They only made a few. It's their Mark 8, but it's a whatever, 3 to 24. Okay. You know, it's on the guns for like cag or whatever yep. I don't know. but i have some of those that turret and there's no information out there it's impossible you gotta have a phd to set the zero stop like i tried for an hour sitting there looking at it took it apart and i'm like i buck this have no idea i just yep. took the scope off the gun it's sitting on my shelf up there and i put a different scope on the gun because it's like i don't know how to set the zero stop yeah. and all and you've got to have the manual production. a bunch of tools an extra hand like it's it, it's some ridiculous. of those are pretty pretty difficult to use yeah, so some of that easy use i think is really good it, it is and then but it's also looking at you know what our core consumer or core customer who we're recording with that product is actually looking for as a you know w- what's important to them and what they'll pay more for and, and how difficult it is to do those things because we're always set in the in the idea that we have to give you better value than anybody else. That doesn't mean a lower price. Yeah. That doesn't, but it, but it does mean a better value. And in order to achieve that, well, somebody's got to determine what that means at the end right. of the day. And, well, and the well, consumer does right. They 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 vote with their wallet, but well, we've got to figure out what we think they're going to do. Well, I know you'll have an answer, but Matt, how how do you determine? Or how does EOTech determine who its commercial demographic is? Like, how do you identify that? Um, well, we certainly collect some data on our website for people to go and buy off our gear store. So yeah. we've got some decent uh, data there. <clears throat> and then we have partners in the industry that are, you know, distributors, resellers, wholesalers that collect data and, and, and give us sort of top-level data to help us understand it better. And we get reps out in the field talking to people. Uh, Ed uh, Shopman, who is our president of North America, runs all sales, product management, customer service, marketing, et cetera. He spends more time probably in retail stores talking to people than he does in the office, which is a great thing, right? Yeah, for that. So, okay, so that's kind a big of part of it. Well, Aaron, how do you combat that? Like when I ask you guys about, I told you my PH wanted this particular little aim point because of somebody told him or he read something or whatever and he's in africa and you know they can't buy shit over there it's like impossible and so he asked me to go get like this particular thing and he's very particular and i sent exact model number and i just went and bought it 
and I was like, he's like, I'll Venmo you. I was like, dude, it's no problem. I'm coming over. I was take it out of your tip, like whatever. And I get to the store, and I was like, God damn, that's expensive. <laughs> like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, like, how are you guys determining that? And, well, you and know, one of the hardest things to do, I'll, I'll give you the, the hard thing is when you're reading all the comments and social media, right? And everybody wants social media ev- ain't a real place, my yeah, man. Yeah, everybody <laughs> wants everything. That at, shit ain't real. Every capability at the lowest price, and it's hard not to sit around and say this is what everybody's demanding. But you have to look at the magnitude of the people that are making these comments. It's like four out of five dentists agree. Well, it was only five dentists, right? You know yeah, what I mean? And all their mothers are investors. <laughs> right. but, yeah, exactly. But, but you know, it also goes back to the Henry Ford comment. Mm-hmm. Like if I asked. You know, if I'd asked people about a bolt gun when we started our company, it would have been some slightly improved variation of the Remington 700. Absolutely. Which is just a slightly improved variation of a Mauser from the late 1800s. And your contemporaries are are launching new rifles every six months. Yeah. 700 platforms. So so to me, this is what I always, you know, fight because... You know, I think in your position, like what you said is the right thing and it's reasonable. And I think, in my opinion, as a business leader, your position is to challenge that Mm -hmm. and to challenge those guys that are just saying, you know, like Ethan, even coming from SIG was like, well, marketing determines what we should make. And then we design something for that. And I'm like, well, if we want to be SIG or we want to be Savage Mm -hmm. or we want to be Smith and Wesson, that's Mm -hmm. what you do. But if we want to be H and K or Knight's Armament, that's not what you do. Mm -hmm. It's like, I expect all of you to, to be ahead of that curve and tell me what's coming in the future. And that's not always easy. And you know, and I'm wrong a lot and it costs a lot of money, but then, you know, it, it, it's like our victories, whether it is like the fix or it's, it's some other product. You know, those give us such a success that we can be wrong more often than other people. Right. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I don't, I don't know. It, it'd probably be like a pinch hitter in baseball. I mean, there's know? a couple other factors come in. You know, we have a brand ethos and, and it's important to make products that fit the attributes of that. And we uh, have a lot of products that we don't make that could probably sell shit ton make us a lot of money we just don't want to do for a variety of reasons and i think one of the reasons is we we really consider ourselves post l3 divestiture as a service oriented organization it's really important to us that we serve our customers and part of the way we serve them is by making great products right you you have guys you have guys out there in the market that will talk about how amazing their customer service is they don't talk about the fact of how many returns they get. Right. Yeah, they're great at turning around those returns, but shit's always falling apart, right? Uh, well, we, so part we, of our <laughs> customer service mantra is make great products that are quality and provide that great customer service. And it goes down to our supply chain, who we do business with and how we treat those companies. Um, one of the things I didn't mention in the intro is since we bought EOTech, we bought a precision machining business. We bought it a... Uh, anodizing business so, and we bought a plastic yeah, injection mill integration that makes so sense. we we've got exactly it helps us with that um, but they do business in other markets as well and we see how customers treat part suppliers badly right so it's really important for us yeah, that to Walmart form, model yeah rather than as a partner you got yeah. it form partnerships treat them well uh, help them grow their businesses 
And a big part of that is who we don't do business and what parts of the world we don't do business in. And that contributes to the quality of our product. That's interesting. Well, I love to hear you say that because to me, I think I've said that since we started Q. It's like people complain about our wait times, you know, once they order a product or whatever, back order. And that sucks. Like, of course, I want everybody in the world to have one of our Mm -hmm. products. And I want to, you know, live the life of Saddam Hussein being, you know, gold-plated toilets. Mm -hmm. It's like... But the reality, gold, not bladed. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. that, that's yeah, that's weak. That was like uh, the Marcos family or something. Um, but it's like the best customer service is done on the front end. What you're saying is that you never need our customer service. Right. Exactly. Right. Like that's the best customer service. Mm-hmm. It's, sure. it's like you just buy the product. You never have to contact us. Yep. You know, and, and part of the customer service to me is is part of like Thomas's job and our marketing department let's do videos to educate on all of our products or if you want to change a barrel or Mm -hmm. you know it's a question that we get every day like we just started a new series called yq um you know it's like one to three minute videos and we take customer service questions or things you know that's how we even announced a recall on Mm -hmm. the fix um from a uh you know like a process issue um is that's a customer service you, you know that we get ahead of it and you don't mm-hmm. need to call us we're going to educate you yep. on what what goes on yeah that, and, that's a and when you one. treat customers like that they're going to be loyal and they're going to come back and they don't mind waiting kyle came with us yesterday told you last night you know he ordered a couple of pro- your products he didn't mind waiting at all he was excited when he got them yeah. I, i'm a guitar enthusiast there's a a, a guy um mule guitars really cool company out of saginaw michigan and he opens it up every single first of the month, five o'clock, you go in and place the order. And he really communicates about why it takes him eight months to make a guitar and how he uses yeah. local Michigan suppliers and the process he uses and the time he puts into it. And he has a lifestyle in his business that he doesn't want to mass produce and sort of le- lose that customer touch. And I'll wait two years for him, right? Yeah, I, I think communication I is, is really yeah. the key. And yeah. I know like me working at other organizations and large organizations and it's like what you think is professional or corporate culture it's like we were talking about um last night about when i was at sig and we were going to launch the 320 and the guy in charge of marketing at the time is like oh we're going to market it this way and you know and i'm part of you know like 10 people in this little committee and you know and i was the only person there other than the ceo that didn't need a job so i feel like my place is to use you know at at that time 25 years experience and what i thought and i'm not always right but i'm going to tell you like my gut feeling and the way that i think and you know like my persona and our marketing is a little more abrasive and in your face and no yeah and and, but with that said it's like the goal so it's like what's our goal our goal is to take have 10 percent of glock's market and i was like well we just compare it to a glock like bam! I just solved mm-hmm. this whole thing. Right. It's like a steel magazine. Like I still probably prefer the Glock over the Sig 320, but the 320 is better in some ways. So it was like the grip angle, the steel magazine. You can swap the grip module out for different grip sizes without having a lot of components. Like there's some cool stuff to the 320. Mm-hmm. They screwed up the borax, but anyway, I was like. So we just focus on that and we just say, hey, Glock, you did a great job. Like you, you know, you brought, you weren't the first to do a polymer frame, you know, striker pistol, but you're the best. Right. But you screwed these things up. And of course, you know, here we are 30 years in, there are some things that we could change. Like a plastic magazine is stupid. 
like a steel magazine and a handgun is way better. Right. This is a better thing. Like the grip angle on the Glock is not right. Yeah. You know, and they were just like, and the guy in charge of marketing at the time is like, that's ridiculous. Of course our gun, you know, and he has no technical knowledge at all. He's mm-hmm. like, our gun is better than a Glock. We're a SIG. And I was like, and we have engineers in this meeting. And I said, you know, you sure about that? <laughs> and he's like, of course. And I, and I look at him, you know, like a straight face. And, and he, he, Ethan's actually in this meeting with me. And he says, Ethan is in Ethan had shot more rounds to the 320 had been involved in the development. He's like, is the 320 a better gun than the Glock? You know, and Ethan is like, not a liar. <laughs> and he says, explain better. You know, and he's like, oh, well, you know, it's a better in, you know, in every regard. And he's like, no, it's not. He's like, it's better in this regard and this regard and this regard. And this is what we were told was important when we were developing this gun. This is why we're here. But no, it's, I mean, we can't quantify fucking mm-hmm. better. Right. And, and to me, that was just like an obvious thing. It's like you want, and now, I mean, the 320 has been successful. They get the military contract and, y- you know, and they have more than 10% of the market of Glock. But, you know, without that military contract, it would have been a struggle. Mm-hmm. It's a Ruger. Yeah. You know, I mean, probably. Maybe, the, yeah. Well, I mean, I didn't mean it to be, <laughs> be that snide, but you don't want to be mean, divisive. It's, it's just, I mean, there's lots of, I mean, there's actually lots of great polymer frame striker pistols now where there yeah. weren't 20 years ago. No. Nope. Um, I, you know, it's it, it's interesting. You know, the 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 product development and product management. You know, the the dichotomy of the two, right? We uh, at least on our team and you know, on most of those teams, there it, it's the same thing, right? Your your product management is your product development, yeah, right? Or or at least the the gatekeeper and guides for product development, and. I think there's a line there that uh, most don't see, but product management needs to be guided by sales and marketing. Product development needs sales and marketing as an input only, right? I need to know what you know, but you don't make any decisions on this. But in yeah. management, when we're managing that line and trying to, you know, grow, not the innovation side of it, but we need one in green. We need one in this. We need a third button over here. That's where sales and marketing come in and help us grow that product yeah. line. But they should only be an input on development. And yeah. too many, you know, last time I was here, uh, I didn't talk much about it because I was still really uh I was going to say disheartened, but I, I was pissed off about my whole experience at uh, FN America. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was a primary reason for my rapid departure from there because nobody knew shit like from FN America. Like, and I, I say that right now to the whole world when it came to product development and product management they had one guy that kind of might have sort of known some shit, yeah. but the leadership didn't. Well, and they yeah. were afraid to make a mistake. It's tough with a foreign known company, and it's tough with a company that only relies on big government contracts. And they and, and, and a lot of the foreign known companies, they, they, it takes them a long time to appreciate the American gun culture. It does, but to their credit, to the Belgium's credit, you know, F.N. Herstel saw the writing on the wall or had been listening enough to say, okay, F.N. America, you can go and 
and and kind of chart your own path and do some of your own things and that was the pretense that I was hired under but what it became was this idea of well we've hired a bunch of people who really don't know what they don't know like my boss had been there for three years at the time his first year and a half he was the vice president of R&D he had been the vice president of product development for the previous year and a half when I got there we sat in a meeting in the Winchester room and he actually said so me and the long gun product manager were talking he said so what's a what is a, a lever action I said, well, that display oh. case behind you, A6 through 11, those are all lever actions. And he goes, oh, I thought those were shotguns. I said, well, one of them is, but they're all lever actions. It's like, oh, okay. So I'm like, what the fuck? Dude. Ten minutes later, talking about bolt guns. So, well, have we considered a, a straight pull? Because uh, So on a straight pull, does it fire when you close it, or does it have a trigger like a regular gun? So I packed up my shit and said, hey, I got a meeting with Belgium. And I went back to my office and like, I can't fucking believe I'm here. Like, what the shit's going on? It's disheartening. And then, you know, the, they had a, a really good uh, pit pistol, the, the 509 Edge, which was yeah. like their competition ready and all this other stuff. There were issues with the triggers. So I got brought in on it. I talked to the director and he, you know, they come back with this nine month schedule and and the only do out was to determine what the customer means by, uh, what did they say, like squishy trigger or something like that. I was like, whoa, you don't need to do any of that. Just let's compare known samples. I've got lots of guns at home that are good triggers. Let's figure out what a good trigger is and then figure out and, the and, fix and for And you this. worked for a long time. You were the boss of the best shooters in the world. So this isn't. I, I, and I'm, I know what a good trigger is, right? Sure. So, so let's. Sure. Let's quantify. <laughs> Let's quantify what a good trigger is. Let's not try to figure out what a bad trigger is, right? Because anything other than a good trigger is a bad trigger. We could spend the rest of our life doing this, and let's fix it. And it's like, no, you know, this is the way we do things. And so as I'm having this meeting, I'm typing up my letter of resignation because yeah. like I can't be here for this. Yeah, right? This is the way we do things. Is right. And the and worst thing you can say. Absolutely. <laughs> and what I told my boss after that, you know, because it was the same thing. Like, well, what can we do to keep you? It's like, there's absolutely nothing you can do to keep me. I was like, I wouldn't have quit if I were coming in to negotiate. Right. Because this ends three ways. I leave today. Or I'm here for a year and you walk me out because you're freaking tired of hearing me complain about the other stuff that we do. Or the third, which I'm really afraid of, I'm here for a year plus and I wake up one morning and go, shit, it is great working at FN America. Because on that day, I'm going down to the river and I'm washing my mouth out with buckshot because I've, everything that made me me has fucking died. He goes, oh, so we can't keep you. I was like, fuck no, I'm out. Yeah. And the problem was that they didn't realize how goofy it was to go in those directions. And they were afraid to take a risk. Like, I don't want to fail. I want to do everything I can to hedge that. But if we're not taking any risk, we're not growing. We're not doing the right well, things. It's also, well, it, to me, it's hard to quantify when you get in large organizations, like taking a risk and all. And then I, I've seen, like when I went to SIG, there's only like six of us on the executive staff. And then within a year, there's like 24 of us. 
Wow. And like, I'm not the most knowledgeable person about guns, but I'm also not the moron you're talking about. Right. And it, you know, uh, well, that's that's harsh. He was ignorant. He didn't know what he didn't know. But who put him in that position to be in charge of people who do? And it's like if I I can't imagine that. But my closest thing was after. Um, Cerberus purchased my company. The first year was great. The second year, Bob Nardelli became like the CEO of uh, Freedom, Freedom Group. Group. And he came in the SHOT Show booth with me and Robbie. And uh, he's got one of his like billionaire friends that's at SHOT Show and this Bob Nardelli. And he was the CEO of Home Depot. And all. He's a real piece of shit. But he walks him in there and it's the MSR rifle, which was an awesome rifle that we had built for, you know, for Army Delta, for their snipers. And, you know, it did a lot of cool things that really hadn't been done before. And, um, you know, but it's a precision. It's for them in the Hindu Kush to shoot dudes at a mile away with right. it and have a gun that they can carry on their own in a backpack with lots of ammo. So, you know, kind of bridging the gap between the 308 and the 50 cal. And he walks up to it and he's like, you know, Robbie, tell the... You know, tell my, my buddy, like, whatever, Leroy Johnson, about how great this thing is. And it's like, and he goes through the whole spill and why, you know, this is a unique gun and it's a cutting edge and it's, you know, the, the contracts that we had won with it. And then at the end of it, Nardelli says, this is the full auto version, right? And I'm sitting there watching and I was like, oh, my God, <laughs> we, we are doomed. This guy is my boss. And this bolt action sniper rifle, he's like, this is the full auto version, right? Yes. And I don't, it was, and you know, Robbie was, you know, such a politician. He oh, yeah. Robbie, where I would have just been like, oh, my God, what what the fuck did you say? Um, yeah, I just had to walk away. And I was like, oh, this is done. We are absolutely done. Like, this guy is now in charge. Where his predecessor was knowledgeable about firearms to a degree, but where he was smart was he was smart enough to identify the people under him that knew what the fuck they were talking right. about and let them do their jobs. I mean, yeah. The worst thing the CEO can do is convince themselves that they need to teach everybody else when it's really the opposite. They need to learn from everybody else, right? And, and that's my qualm with uh, private equity as well is that it's that attitude. Hey, we know everything about business, so it applies to your industry no matter how niche it is. And so... Some you know, of it we're generically, teach you. yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah. there's so many things. I mean, if I lived to be 200, I would probably by then get a decent handle on business. Mm -hmm. Right. And so now it's like, well, you know, and of course, like having, being a man, having an ego, and, and like for me, we, we talked about different people. Like, I'm an overachiever. Like, I'm the dumbest person in my family. But, you know, I I bought all the houses. Mm -hmm. and And so it's like, well... Okay. Yeah. So it's like, well, you know, I'm young and I think I'm great at everything. And then it's like, well, then you go through these phases. Oh, I'm a total fraud because you meet somebody that's way smarter than you. Right. And way more knowledgeable. And so it's always this constant sort of weaving and bobbing back and forth between these things. And then it's like, you know, as trying to mature, like now, even in my late 40s, it's like, well, what do I actually care about? What am I good at? It's like I'm good at these two things, like these there's 10 things total. I'm good at these two. Mm -hmm. So I understand six of the other eight. So I can be involved in that. Two of these, it's like, is it worth any of my time being involved in that? Is it super detrimental to the business? Right. Who can I hire that mm -hmm. I trust that I believe has the knowledge that can do that? And what kind of oversight can we have there? 
Okay, I'm comfortable with that. And it's uh, like 90% of my focus needs to go into these two things that I'm really good at because that's what's going to grow our business. Right. And I don't I don't need, you know, I need to constantly be learning about manufacturing and production operations. I don't ever need to be an expert. I need to know when someone's full of shit and not good at what they're doing. And the fortunate thing about that is it's pretty easy for me mm-hmm. to determine that at the end of every month because it's like numbers. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, when I deal with Thomas or I deal with Ethan, it's like... I don't know. Marketing is fucking bullshit. <laughs> right. It's like marketing is just do I think it's effective. Mm-hmm. Yep. Like that's is that what's driving sales? All it is. Yeah, because yes. I don't know. You know, if I if I ask Thomas, he's probably like, yeah, marketing sells all our shit. Mm-hmm. Yep. And if I ask Ethan, he's like, marketing is stupid. Why are you wasting money on that? If you gave us that money, we could develop more products. We yep. could sell. It's like, okay, well, how do, how do we tell people they need to buy them? You know, and it's just yeah. like both of those things are bullshit. It's like yeah. two parts of my business that just drain us of money. But okay, is, is this is this the way that I believe we conduct our business and that we can be successful? Uh, like, is this a, a you know, are we unique in this aspect? Is, is it very efficient in conveying information? Right. You know, that's where I think about you know to circle back to when I talked about you know being irritated with you guys in the beginning. It's like Aimpoint Neotech. It's it's like it took a fucking ten minute conversation with you and JB for me to be like, holy shit, you guys are failing at marketing, mm-hmm. like completely failing because you just educated me and I'm so hyped on an EOTech holographic site now, like you'll never see anything else on that mm-hmm. gun, right? And like, why don't you do this, to everybody? Like, why are you keeping it a secret? You guys are being jackasses. Like, and, and, and a lot of it was, you know, uh, one uh, L three put no money into marketing. They didn't know how to market to consumers. Didn't care about it. Were scared of it. Well, who's leading and, the business? Yeah, yeah, I mean that's a thing. Yeah. And 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 then it takes a little bit of time to change yeah. course direction yeah, after sure. you buy the company. And and also you can lull yourself into believing all those data points, right? Oh, look at all those comments. Like, you know, look how much gauge we have. That kind of stuff. And I'm Dave Chappelle. Leave that shit in the comments. Yeah, it ain't a real place. Exactly. And so, um, you know, and then you, you got to understand sort of how people are interacting with you because it evolves and changes all the time. Right. And so you're about to see a lot of changes in marketing with EOTech. It oh, takes awesome. a little bit of time. We want to do it right. So we're building up the momentum. And my initial thought process, and we talked about it sort of early in the year, when we came up with the plan and strategy that it was just going to start incrementally rolling out. But they're doing it smarter. What, what the marketing team's doing is they're aggregating all of the work that they're doing to optimize the, optimize the costs of it. And then they're going to incrementally roll out a big marketing push and plan uh, across all of our products. It's going to have a lot of education and it's going to be in a form that is going to engage people better than we've done before. That's so awesome. we are right on the cusp See, of it. I, know? I'm too unprofessional and just uh, impatient to do mm-hmm. that. And to oh, me, I am too. But I, I have guys that, that sit around and say like, yeah, you, hey, know. you put us in charge. Of yeah. This and we'll do. yeah I, I just think for me, uh, you know, it's so hard cause it's subjective. So it's, I think us being candid and like I can call Marty Daniel an asshole cause he's an asshole. And, but I also, then I have to humble myself when like we fuck up and I just feel like if I'm transparent and I'm right and there is like, some science or there are facts that back it up and I don't lie. Mm -hmm. Right. It's like, there's something to that. And you're always going to irritate whatever the number is, 10, 20, 30%. But it's like, I really need like 5% of the business. So Mm -hmm. like, why am I going to beat myself up about some, you know, nobody? It's it's like when we talk about like uh, occasionally now, it's just like, I, I kind of layered myself to where 
I don't have to deal with a lot of my own personal shit, but about once a month, somebody gets my phone number that is, you know, they manage money. And they'll call me, and they'll be, you know, give me some little spiel. And, you know, like once you have kids, you always answer the phone because you're afraid, oh, shit. Mm, right. Like so, anyway, answer these calls, and it's like they give me some little pitch, and I cut them off, and I'm like, okay, what is your net worth? Like, it just ends it for me real quick. It's like if you're younger than me and you're worth more than me, then we talk. If not, then we'll <laughs> like, how good are you at managing money? Shit, yeah. I don't even pay attention to mine. I got more <laughs> money than you. It's like, what have you done? So I think about that with the comments, too, because mm-hmm. I've never right. had, when I think about who my peers are, whether it's Aaron Hampton or it's Trey Knight or it's um, Chris Barrett or, you know, who, whoever it is within our industry, people that I respect that I consider my peers, mm-hmm. I don't hear you talking shit about me. Right. And like when uh, online, because it is a thing you can get caught up in mm-hmm. and and your marketing people get hung up because I see in our marketing mm-hmm. department, the people that handle social media will come to me about something that's like, hey, you can't have two beers and call this guy an asshole. Like, well, he's being an asshole. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like can I have well, three. Yeah, but yeah. It, it's like, well, yeah, may, maybe uh, I could see where you say it's not professional, but it's also like my comment is you want to be critical of me. It's fine. I've made more mistakes than you but what have you ever done that i've heard of Mm -hmm. right like if you've accomplished nothing in your life that i know of or particularly not to be that big of an asshole but in our industry like what have you done because yeah i've done a lot of things that have been failures or flops or i thought was going to be awesome and you know i'm transparent from the beginning and the product doesn't turn out to be what i thought it would be it wasn't that I lied. It's just that, you know, I'm hopeful and I'm excited and I'm transparent and this is what I think. But as it goes on, like I'm going to say, you know, this is what happened and this is how we flopped. But, like, mm-hmm. you want to be super publicly critical of me? Mm-hmm. Like, what have you done to make me give a shit what your opinion is? Mm-hmm. Oh, you're sure. you're 23 and you're on Reddit. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. And, w- and wait for your mom to call you for dinner. And mm-hmm. that's the hard thing, but it's also the, the idea of looking at, you know, nowadays uh, – and I think, you know, earlier we were talking offline about, you know, is the world a worse place now or a safer place now or a more dangerous place now than it was 25, 50, 100 years ago? And if you rationalize and normalize for, you know, the population, uh, I think what's changed so much now is uh, the access to information. And now every stupid fuck who would be in their mom's basement just doing mom's basement shit is now online and has a platform mm-hmm. and feels the need to share their fucking dumbass opinion yeah. in the most vocal and oftentimes vulgar way mm-hmm. possible in an effort to somehow feel attached to other people mm-hmm. and and people they, are lazy, and it's and, easy to believe yeah. that. And so. they usually shit on things that you know we, we've worked our ass off for, uh-huh. you know. And and granted, it's not perfect, but it's a step in the right fucking direction. Well, well, one of the things if your track I, record's perfect, you've not done enough. You haven't done enough. <laughs> <laughs> one one of the things I find fascinating is where you read these articles could be about anything. And they're like, people are outraged about this and that and the other. And then when you look in the article, the people that are outraged, they're pasting in like three tweets from random people right right you know and so you know i think you know one of the fundamental things we try to ingrain in the organization is challenging assumptions and some of those assumptions are hey if you have a certain amount of comments certain amount of followers certain amount of engagement that's important to your brand and i don't think that's true anymore 
And I think educating people on our brand is really important. I think staying to our brand ethos and how we do business, who we do business with, and how we serve customers, that's what's important. That's what's going to sell, not how many comments we have. And you know, another challenge that we've assumed with respect to suppliers is you can build stuff cheaper in China. We actually did a project oh. last year, and we proved that that is not fucking true. Yeah. I mean, you can, you can build a better, less expensive product in the U.S., well, that dynamic has changed. Well, I mean, w- w- I think w- probably in, in our collective positions, it is how someone presents it to you. And I, I know whether it, it's marketing or product development, whatever, when they come to me with something they want to do, like they're biased. Sure. And all mm-hmm. the supporting factors are biased. And I would say, yes, you can absolutely build something cheaper in China. And yes, it's never cheaper in China. And it depends. It's like, what are the metrics that we're looking at? Okay. Right. Well, let's figure in COVID. Mm-hmm. You know, are we okay with child labor? Right. Are we okay with supporting our children or grandchildren's, you know, enemy that they're going to be fighting? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know what all the things that we want to, but I do know that like all the high-end electronics and things like that that we would think are come from Japan or they come from China, they come from America. And, and so we can clearly design and build the best stuff mm-hmm. here. Right. But, you know, it's like, okay, are we okay with this amount of fallout or this yeah. kind of quality You can control? build terrible products cheaper in China. No argument there. Yeah. And, yeah. and there's good products you can make in China. I think China's probably come a long way, but I just also think that there's never the trust. Uh, mm-hmm. They're going to steal your intellectual property. Yeah. I mean, there's just all kinds and of things. And just dealing going there through problems. And, and it's one of the funniest things for me, this new uh, environmental social governance uh, thing that's taking over the corporate world. and Yeah, look at China. It, America, what are we, like yeah, 2% of it? It's all a sham. You know, you read large public corporations like Apple put out these beautiful ESG plans. Well, guess what? They're making everything in China, right? And where are the social and environmental governance is there? Yeah, if you really believe that, mm-hmm. then pull all your shit out of China. Because yeah. they're, yeah, China, India, like they're all the ones polluting the world. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's like we have that, you know, most powerful country, rich people guilt or something. Yeah, yeah we're not the ones doing it. Uh, but, yeah, put your money where your mouth is. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think iPhones, if we started making them here, it would be five grand a piece initially. Mm-hmm. But when people stopped buying them, we would be amazed at how you could make them for, you yeah. know, sure. yeah. you know, and sell there them for go. a thousand bucks here, just like the Chinese equivalent. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, all that stuff takes time and it, it, you know, it's it's a it's a less difficult proposition if you give yourself time to to make those changes instead of arbitrary line in the sand that says today this is, you know, never again, Mm -hmm. no more. And that's kind of where, you know, we've been working is whatever we do next and and everything that we need to to rectify. Should we bring it into you know, one of our newly vertically integrated manufacturers, should we outsource it here? Should we bring this in house? Uh, Those are all decisions that, you know, we, we have to uh, look at, you know, it's going to be product dependent. It's going to be feature set dependent. Mm -hmm. And to that end, like one of the things that uh, kind of was ungood when we left L3. Ungood ungood mm-hmm. wasn't bad it wasn't terrible but it was certainly ungood uh we now is more better it now it's mm-hmm. now it's it's no, it's much now it's better. much better at this point uh, but we lost our ability to uh sell night vision and thermal products to law enforcement because 
our break from L3 Harris was a bad break uh, between us and our sister company, Insight. So we no longer have access to their product. And we oh, never okay. sold it commercial. We always sold it to law enforcement, but we were the tie-in for law enforcement. Were there commercial restrictions or it was just a company imposed? We're not company imposed commercial oh, restrictions. Okay. So we didn't, you know, for the night vision stuff, we never sold it commercially, but we did service a lot of agencies throughout the country yeah. and we could no longer do that. So we had to start our own line of night vision, uh, our own line of thermal. And, you know, so the, the first products out are actually some analog night vision devices that we built or that we we had a partner to build so we've got a full lineup of stuff but uh as an example this is uh our bino nv so it's a analog tube night vision device uh binocular uh, so that's i mean so relatively traditional Mm-hmm. Um, w- would be a competitor to to what? To a PVS thirty one. Mm-hmm. So I mean, it's your you know we're we're using Elbit uh, high FOM tubes. So these are um, these are every bit as good as you know what's issued to the United States Marine Corps, right? Um, little few minor differences from a thirty one. You know, manufacturer of the tubes is a big difference. Of course, L three makes. 31 tubes. Uh, yeah. These are made by Elbit. Uh, we have a illuminator on them as opposed oh, to, yep, as opposed to on a 31, there's no illuminator. Yeah. Uh, battery yeah, life. Yeah, if you've never used them, doesn't seem like a big deal until you go into your garage to get, or, or you're <laughs> yeah. somewhere in complete darkness. It, and magnifying light when there is no light, just you that, still have no light. That's it. You're, you're in, in, intensifying an image that is not getting there. So <laughs> yeah. uh, having that illuminator is a pretty big deal. Oh, that's cool as shit. Uh, and the battery life is is far superior. Uh, what kind of batteries these use? One, two, threes now? Single, single double A. Okay, uh, so still double A. That's yep, what it's if, been for a long time. If you're running a uh, lithium double A on these binos, you're, you're looking at uh, in the neighborhood of... Uh, about 16 hours of oh, useful yeah. life. So what, what is that, like eight times what it used to be, 10 times what it used well, to be? Well, on 20? a set of 31s uh, with the L3 tubes, which are, are without getting into great detail, they're uh, filmless versus thin filmed. Uh, in order to be filmless, you have to put a lot more high voltage across to multiply those electrons. Oh, so the and battery life does. Well, what's the advantage of so it? The, you get a better image? Um, you get a higher resolution or higher contrast rate. Yeah. Uh, in, in, but everything is relative, right? It's yeah. in certain lighting conditions. So, uh, you know, they're, they're really great tubes. Like, I can't say anything even somewhat negative about them. They're, they're phenomenal tubes. Yeah. Uh, but these are, you know, every bit as good. Right. Uh, in, in any of the measuring uh, parameters that we use. I mean, if to they were slightly it. less, if I've got an illuminator in those, I would pick these. Yeah. And I mean, the illuminator my experience of actually and the battery these. life, you know, the, the illuminator and the battery life make a huge difference for them. And so you can see the size of those. Uh, they're they're very typical uh, 18 millimeter tubes, uh, image intensified tubes, which is pretty much what everybody has. It, it, so these are going to be available commercially. These are available commercially right now. They are right they're now. at distributors. They're shipping them. You can, can, can you say the cost? Um, no, I can tell you the cost in a bit. I don't, I, I want, I don't want to lie to you and Do you, you have, have everybody an, mad. A range I've of got to look price? at, uh, I, I'm going to have to take a look and, and give you the price. But so, uh, this is our Bino night vision compact or Bino NVC. 
Uh, these use a 16 millimeter tube, so they're smaller, lighter, and faster. So they incorporate. Do, do you know like how much lighter? Do you know? Uh, it, it's Without a few ounces. You want to? I mean, you know, I'll give you the. No, you tell me. I mean, a few an ounces, yeah. like on it, your head. It's it, like it, a it's silencer. A, it's it's around two and a half ounces. It's lighter. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's considerably lighter. And I don't know, you know, like well, 10% and it's a shorter, like hanging it's off a, your head. It's also a shorter form factor. Yeah, you're right. So right. the lever effect, it, it's closer to your head that's going to be better. Yeah, it, It's closer to your head, but it's also less of a snag hazard because they're only extending this far out past your brim as yeah, opposed to the I'm, other. I'm not that tactical, uh, but yeah. Yeah, but, you know, really who is, right? Uh, but... Uh, same as on, on these, um, we, we included an illuminator on them. Uh, you've got nice. an aux battery pack if you really want it. It's more for uh, counterbalance than weight because uh, oh, with yeah, yeah. this model, you're still getting about 16 to 18 hours of battery life, which is phenomenal. Um, with, with a single double A? With a single double A, lithium. Now you go to Alkaline, you're going to... It's gonna like 50 cents, Thomas. Like 50 cents. Well, it's about a buck ten for lithium. You go Alkaline, you're going to lose a few hours, but, I mean, you know, you're worth it, right? Spend the money. Yeah. Uh, so we're we're really excited about these. We've got a lot of law enforcement partners that are really excited about these. Well, the hard question is, what do you lose from these? Uh, you lose some of the FOM or resolution over signal to noise. So uh, FOM is an interesting number, right? It's the figure of merit, it's, and it's how we rate the performance of a set of uh, image intensifier or a single. It's how we rate the performance of an image intensifier tube, okay? So um, it's the resolution divided by the signal to noise. So, so is that equal um, throughout like whatever the distribution of light is or the consumption or, or, or it, magnify? It, it's or done. Like you have to magnify? Right. No, it's done at um, it's a particular. Like, uh, yeah, uh, 10 to the minus 4 or something, which would be about the equivalent of... Um, uh, overcast starlight. Jesus so Christ. really dark. All right, so right? sort of subjective. Um, no, the problem comes in that it doesn't really mean a lot. Well, okay. Well, tell me, because I'm so ignorant to this. When would you choose these over that, if you're using it? When would you choose the bigger versions over it? So if you're hooked on FOM, you're going to choose the big ones. 10 times out of 10 because these are 2000 minimum FOM is 2000 on these on high FOM, which is what the military gets it. The minimum FOM is 2376, right? Yeah, whatever that means. And that's the point, but here's what FOM really does. Because when I just looked through that, through the little pinholes, I didn't need that much right. <laughs> contrast or resolution. Like I could see, just like I'm looking at you right now. Well, like uh, it, it seemed unnecessary. I mean, for me, from my uneducated, very amateur standpoint that j has a lot of night vision and thermal, mm -hmm. that was so good. I would rather have smaller than lighter than a, a, right. a, a, the, the resolution and clarity and contrast that I had there. And you're going to be really close to this. So where they get where the signal gets noisy. Right. And I'm, I'm sure you've seen it uh, on occasion is where it's getting so much light through. Like it's not quite dark enough and it is multiplying those electrons so much that you start to see static, yeah. right? Almost, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? So 
the resolution uh, and that signal to noise ratio is what gives us that figure of merit. And what that was used for was, you know, way back in the day, ITT, the State Department came out and said, you can't ship these things out, right? It'll be a detriment to our soldiers. Yeah, yeah. We need some performance measure so that we know what can be shipped and what can't be. Okay, so and that's yeah, how they came up with figure of merit. Now, what figure of merit doesn't take into account is that it is not really a system level measurement, right? It is a measurement of the image intensifier tube as rated by the manufacturer. All right, so so I don't even think we got to go more into it. It so it's bullshit. It's sort it's of basically <laughs> bullshit. It it, 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 it does give like you something to look at, like measuring a number absolutely for dB for silencers yep. at a given temperature at a given distance. All these things. Right. It's going to be different for everyone else. It, it like to be. me, like usability. I want usability. Right. You and, know, and Fawn makes it easy, right? So as a consumer, they look at it and say, if all things uh, if all things are equal, I'm going to go with the one with the highest Fawn, right? And yeah, if all things are not, equal, but if you're telling me it's 20% lighter, it's hanging off my head, it's 20% shorter, you have the same battery life. Well, like, and, and market data dictates that when I say all things considered, what I really mean is price. Go see. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Because I was going to say, I think I'm in the minority um, with a lot of things because there's been times in my life where. You know, I'm working with the government and the military, and I'm not really using my guns. Uh, I'm relying on the information I get from the guys that are using our products to, you know, I mean, in the end, like the honey bear, like to shoot people. Right. Like, I'm not doing it, but I'm in a situation in my life right now where I am the, I am the user of our product, and I dictate, like, what I think is good through hunting or these sorts of things. And, you know, that has to do with... Oh, yeah, you want the most accurate gun in the world. Okay. Right. Yeah. So, uh, 1911. So, the Army Marksmanship Unit can build you a 1911 that's so accurate. What about reliability? Because, to me, reliability, because I shoot stuff that can kill me now. Right. Reliability, more important than accuracy. Yep. You know, and, and you, you start really, wh what is a practical priority list for a product and what's important and who determines that. Right. And, you know, the federal government is generally not great at a lot of things. So I don't really want them determining what it is. It's like I need to get my ass out and use the product and what is really usable. Like we make in our line of silencers, we make short silencers to me that are very practical. I don't notice the shot if I'm in a high stress situation and I shoot something. Right. And I don't care how high stress it is. If I forget my ear pro and we were just, Thomas and I were just in Argentina shooting some stuff. What, two or three times I forgot my ear pro? And it's like high stress, like I'm making a shot off a stick, you know, off shooting sticks at 500 yards on a red stag with a 16 inch 6.5. I have to make a great shot. Otherwise, like my day is shit. Right. I wound an animal, I feel like shit. We're tracking it for all day. It's just a shit show. And I'm totally focused and bam, instantly. I like throw my gun. I cry like a baby. I'm like, I hope that motherfucker doesn't need another shot. Like, where is my ear pro? Thomas, your job is to tell me I need my ear pro. It's his job. It's his job. <laughs> this is job. It's job description. You haven't seen your new jobs. You're, you're running low on the number one in heart now. Uh, no, he is. His stock is still rising. But um, so, so, you know, I, I see it. But it, it is interesting because I think with our industry more than a lot of others, 
it's like guys go and collect all this stuff and they look at numbers. That's it. And this is the thing. Give me an easy way to tell me it's the best. Yeah, so what are you doing with it? Because I use this all the time. And we have silencers that are bigger. We'll just say we have silencers that are quieter than the ones that I use for all of my stuff. Right. Unless I'm shooting with my children or I'm trying to be as quiet as possible. But I don't use them when I'm practically using a firearm because, like, the added length and weight doesn't benefit me because when I'm at high stress, I'm shooting an animal or whatever I'm doing, training, and I'm trying to, you know, uh, recreate that stress, the stressful environment. Um, I don't notice a difference. Only if I'm thinking about, okay, well, let's listen to these sound-wise. Exactly. But we look for that easy way out, right? Because you've never... I've never, for for all of the thousands, at this point, tens of thousands of people that I've talked to who have either bought our products, used our products, or that I've trained practically, who can't get on target, can't stay on target, can't shoot a group. It's always a gun's problem <laughs> or an accessory on the gun's problem. It's, Thomas, it's never this guy. It's never the nut behind the trigger. It's always a material solution. I got shitty ammo. It's another ego it, thing. It, it, exactly. Wait, the train is coming, but and so Thomas, what, what, what do I say when, when we take a trip to Africa and I don't shoot my best? What's my excuse? You you suck. You didn't train I didn't, I didn't go and practice and train. Yeah. <laughs> It's and, never and, an equipment problem. But, you know, that's always the issue. Like, and, and, and I should say, I should caveat what I said earlier with um, I've trained, uh, I've trained and I've trained with the greatest tip shooters of the in the spear world. guys yeah. and the, the greatest no, shooters in the e- world. Even better, and, the guys that train the tip of the exactly. spear guys. And those guys are all very, uh, very much into the, I, I fucked that up. Like, what do I need to do to, to, to do that better? Well, I mean, I think when you're the best, that's right. Like, that if you, you want to continue to grow, that's what and, you have. And, to and you know that you're, you're, you've got the best equipment, right? You've taken that out of the equation. Yeah. So the problem is though, the average consumer who spends the kind of money, you know, to buy a set of binos, right? They're not, they don't need them. They want them. They're cool to have. They're nice to have. I get it. But what they're looking for is an easy way to show that they're an expert. Oh, and ju- that FOM number does purchase. it, or that 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 uh, yeah, that DB, DB rating does it. Uh, price tag sometimes does it. Well, uh, okay, since you won't divulge price like a jackass, I'm gonna give it to you, and you're gonna have it on the little thing. So stop asking about it. So that way, when it shows, it's stupid. It uh, have some balls, Aaron. I I d- listen. I've got tons of balls. I just got a shit fucking memory. All right. Oh. Uh, Do you have any idea what these are gonna cost? We'll ignore Aaron. Uh, no. Okay. Good answer. Good answer. Your answer was appropriate. I know the general range, but as uh, I'm going to give it to you, we're we're going to go back and and redo the shit. So Uh, you say, and how much is it? We got to go build some rifles. Okay. Well, okay. So so we got to move along because we're going to have to go to the office build some guns. So what? Wait, 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 wait. What? Um, I want to know how are you guys going to market these to consumers so they know they're available and they know the stuff that you just taught me. So um, we're this is kind of uh, what. Matt was talking about with our, our revamp of marketing and how we're doing marketing. So we're going pretty heavy with um, the how to and the why videos th- via our website. Uh-huh. Uh, there's a bit of a marketing push through um, 
through some of the channels. But the issue with these is that for the most part, we're we're running up on sellout of every order just because of law enforcement commitments, you know, to, to refresh so they're product take and that priority. kind of thing. Yes. I mean, yeah, it totally makes yeah. sense. And these are, but we do, you know, we have gotten some out to every one of our sales channels and we're out there trying to, you know, show that you can get the high quality stuff now. You can get it directly from us through our warranty and everything else. What I want to say about these is that the reality is we'll probably always carry this lineup. You know, I mean, obviously we're going to do product improvement in advance, you know, but our real goal is really to just use this as uh, our gatekeeper and our, you know, relationship builder as we develop digital night vision. You know, we have no desire to become or to buy an analog tube manufacturing company, right? Yeah, it's been the same for what, like 60 years? Well, you think about it, the Starlight Scopes came out in 1960. Generation one night vision came out in 1970. Generation two night vision came out in 1980. Generation three night vision came out in 1990. It's 2022 and we're still on generation three. So they skipped a few decades. Well, we're kind of getting to that apex moment, yeah, right? For, we, for we went from green phosphor to white phosphor, and that's kind of like our three plus. And L3 developed filmless technology, uh, and so that was like considered the Gen 3 plus, kind of wanted to be Gen 4, but the government who decides on those generations never said there's another. So technically, we're still at Generation 3. Uh, since 1990. The problem with this is, is it's an analog signal. It's a pass-through device. It's fucking awesome yeah. because the light is traveling at the speed of light. light. <laughs> so, so there's Star no Wars. image blur. There's no all this other goofy stuff going on with it because it, it's true to life. As soon as you yeah, start okay, trying so to no do lag, like with no lag, and stuff, yeah. so with thermal, you've got huge lag, right? I mean, you're shooting at an animal that was right here. And now he's over there yeah. because what you're getting that that lens that that glass to lens or that that lens to lens lag time is greater than life. So now if you try to do that on a helmet borne system, you're completely fucked. Somebody's got they're throwing up vertigo is bad. You know, it's horrible situation. But a digital signal is the future. So our goal has been ever since uh we became a private company is to a, if we're going to go or stay in the night vision device realm, we're going digital. And that is a long, really hard road to hoe. Uh, we purchased a, where we acquired a, a company in January of la of this year. Uh, Matt probably be better to tell you about that one, but you know, Thomas still number one in my heart. So yeah. yeah. That's a good around. place to be. Doesn't pay a lot, but it's, it's like nice. A little sister. Ooh, I hope that uh, there's no way this. We don't have anybody that makes that little money. I don't know, maybe intern. But yeah, you know, he, most intern, you know, like, like most interns are like unpaid. But I'm actually against that. So, oh well, easy for you. It ain't your fucking checkbook. And no shit. Well, I said I you're mean, number one in my heart. You're not like sharing a checkbook with me. So you've got what 
one more or two more semesters before you can't be a fucking intern anymore. Oh, he ain't like, going. To you college. gotta be between. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. He's yeah, got one or two more semesters, and then he's, he's got, got to become he's an got six months to off. improve uh, to 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 prove that he's yeah that Q material. Well, the, it, t- even tougher Thomas material. Ooh, yeah, you. Like yeah. Thomas you got better high stay standards. cheap or you're going to get the fuck out. No, I, I, hey, when it's me and Thomas, cheap ain't a thing. Like, you got to go through a probationary period, but you just got to perform. If he can't perform, it don't matter if he's cheap. Like, yeah. You know, yeah, you know yeah. like the worst product is the least expensive. Can be. Yeah. We, 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 we need quality. I mean, Thomas and I, you know, we're, we're up here. Yeah. We're right up here. Mm hmm. And so that's if you're like me, the interns need to be even higher, right? Because eventually they're going to settle. Like, you're getting his best. No, because he's got a lot to learn, so Thomas gives to him. But I hope he goes to here, because maybe that'll, you know, motivate Thomas to, like, kick it up a notch. Okay. Is there another notch? I thought he would. Yep. I mean, being number one in your heart, yep. I figured he was fucking max performance. Well. Right? Always a notch. Always. Oh, shit. See? See? Right. That's why he's okay. number one in my heart right I, there. Listen, right there. I saw it in that moment. I fucking understood it. Like, I didn't before. Now, I get it. Thomas wants to be great at what he does, just like I do. And he wants to be the best, and that's not compared to everyone else. You know, like, one thing I love about Thomas's videos, he's not from our industry. So, as I do hunting videos, they're not traditional hunting videos. Right. You you know, they're fun to watch. It's entertaining. Uh, we get to a fucking point. We're not trying to have a 22-minute episode so we can sell eight minutes of commercials. Right. You know. Well, sadly, that brings me back to a, a previous point. <laughs> the idea that, you know, one of the things that makes Thomas great at what he does for you is that he's not from this industry. Mm. So there's no real preconceived notions of about what it should be. So he's looking at it with a different eye. He's looking at it with a, mm. a different flair to production quality. And that stuff is really good. And, and every organization needs that. But there are key places where that's not what you should have. Uh, no. As a good example, uh, HK USA hired a CEO from the tire industry, and then everyone wondered why he was only there for why he was My there for twelve months. Tech, yeah, you know, he didn't have any gun-related experience at all. Ooh. He was just a business guy, and in some ways that can be good and having engineers come to you that have no relevant experience. You, you get some outside stuff that you would have never gotten from the guys who were involved in it, but leading that, directing that, managing that has to be somebody who understands the product and the market space and the consumer. Otherwise you're just spinning your wheel. So I think with Thomas, that's fucking awesome. Like all the good videos I've ever seen from our industry, came from production crews that had fuck all to do with our industry right? yeah and yeah it's different it looks better you know it's not watching shooting usa over and over again right yeah i mean you know it's interesting with our industry when you talk about leadership um like the traditional industry whether it's marketing or a lot of individuals like i don't really relate or care for them but nuances to our industries with guns being so polarizing with it being 
you know, a, a partisan issue. Mm-hmm. You know, there are nuances, I think, if you haven't been in the industry for very long, that will bite you in the ass with a quickness. Absolutely. You know, because I'm not, you know, I'll get, you know, we were talking about all sorts of business ideas earlier, and I was just, we had a guy came up, and he's a huge supporter of SOCF, uh, Special Operations Care Fund. And he bought one of our guns for $210,000 at an auction. So the, my man's balling. And he came up here, did a build with his family, and he's just a great guy. And he was talking to me, and we're just talking about different aspects of business or personal lives. And he ended up, like he's got enough money where he ended up with people who work for him that all they did was donate his money to charity. Mm-hmm. And he started looking at that, and he's like, and what he told me, and what conclusion he came to after, you know, a dozen years of this, and he thought it was the right thing. He and his wife, who had built a business together and became billionaires, they thought this was the right thing. You know, whatever it is, like Bill and Melinda Gates, like, oh, we're going to save the world by clean drinking water. And he's like, what he realized was there's so much wasted between him and filtering it through a charity and yep. getting mm-hmm. to what... He says, what I realized was what I'm good at is business, and that employs a lot of people. Mm-hmm. He's like, the most charitable thing I can do is grow my business because he's like, you know, the money I'd give away every year, I could hire 200 people that actually help the company to grow, and he's like, that's a charitable thing. Mm-hmm. Yep, absolutely. And for him, he's like, I don't care about charity anymore, mm-hmm. and he's and he's a real sweet guy. And he didn't mean it in a bad way, but he, you know, his thought process is like, this is what I'm great at, right. and this is the only thing I'm good at. And I can spend a lot of time and money, but like, where does the money go to that I give to charity? But if I grow the business and I invest in a community where I have a company and I have a factory and I do these things and I can employ another, you know, 5% of this community, that's it makes charitable. A difference. Yeah. yeah. And it, and it makes a real definitive difference. Yeah, it so, does. So, so yeah, I've been cool. on the board of a nonprofit for a number of years, uh, Easter Seals, and uh, a lot of what we do is dealing with people with disabilities, dealing with people with mental yeah. health disabilities, and one of the number one things that we do is help them get employed and stay employed. Yeah. It's one of the number one things you can do for somebody with mental health issues. Yeah, I mean, how good is that for mental health yeah. in general? Bingo. Like it's having a, a purpose every yeah. day and right. something yeah. to go to, consistency. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we work with them at EOTech. We've hired folks with autism. I have a three-year-old with autism, and it's a really meaningful thing to do. Yeah, yeah. Right? I that's, mean, I, That's terrible. You know, part of starting Q is I have a son with um, pretty severe executive functioning issues, and it was recognized when he was in the first grade. They asked us to remove him from school. And so he went through, you know, basically 10 years of pretty intense um, remediation for all that stuff. And, you know, what they told me at the time was he doesn't learn in a traditional way. And it turns out we go through all this testing and he's got dyslexia, dyscalculia, dysgraphia, like all these executive functioning things. And they're like, you know, there's a chance he doesn't he's never able to have a job. But if you do these things intensively. You know, it turns out, you know, by the time he's in like 11th grade, he's fine. School's yeah. not hard for him. You know, he's creative. He's really intelligent. And now he can function in like a normal process and learn a normal mm-hmm. way. And, oh, God. So, you know, in the end, it's like I spend a million dollars on school, but the kid can have whatever life he wants now. He mm-hmm. doesn't have to live with me forever. He doesn't have to yeah. come with my company. But, you know, it was one of the reasons I started Q was – well, shit, I've got this son, and he might not ever be able to have a job. Mm-hmm. And he may live with me forever. 
that's okay, but he needs to have a purpose. Right. You know, and if I control a company, we can find something that he's good at. Mm-hmm. You know, and now it's like it's irrelevant. Like he's fine. And he's an adult now. But, uh, yeah, that was, a, yeah. So, I mean, going through these challenges with like parenthood and all, I mean, it affects my business decisions, yeah, the absolutely. way I deal with employees or, you know, that like mm-hmm. affected a, a great deal of how I deal with my employees. And they have a personal issue, Bingo. whether it is, they're going through child custody, you know, mm-hmm. they're going through a divorce, they're going through some sort of illness. And, you know, like I want to take a personal interest in our employees. And, you know, and I hear it from you and some stuff you said compared to if you're still L3 and you're this big company and right. it's like you got some Bob Nardelli looking at numbers like, oh, Kevin Brittingham's the highest paid guy. Fuck him. Like, let's screw him out of that $10 million. <laughs> hey, I just saved the company $10 yeah. million. Like, yeah, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's amazing the resources you can get kids uh, with these issues. My son just got into therapy early in the year, and within three months, he went from nonverbal, just yammering on and on, to articulating sentences. What I found out when he was yammering at me very argumentatively, but I didn't understand a word he said, when he finally started talking, what I realized is he just really wanted some fucking pizza. Yeah. Don't we all? Yeah, Yeah, that's what we're having for lunch, actually. Sweet. Yeah. All right. Well, what? um, So what else? So we have these. These are. So can we get can we get better stuff? (laughs) Yes. Yes. However. Mm. So, um, you know, this is phenomenal, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, they they really are. All right. And as far as pricing goes. The full size or uh, MSRP is $12,500, which sounds like a lot, but a lot believe me, it's a steal, right? Our compacts are $12,925. That's MSRP. So you'll see them street a little bit lower than that. Uh, but Well, let me ask you this. So, so this will be the equivalent of like, well, not the equivalent, but it's the same idea of like a PVS 14. Like that's like where this started. Well, yeah, so your PVS-14 is a monocular. Oh, it's a monocular. Right. What, what's the binocular? Uh, PVS-31. Okay, oh, so, okay, so, so that's what I've got, actually. Yep, uh, so so well, these how, are... How much are those? Uh, so you can get a new set for right in that $13,000 price range. Oh, they're that expensive. But Oh, yeah, yeah, we're, we're, actually, we're actually cheaper, uh, or I should say less expensive, when you uh, calculate the total package because with either one of these oh the illuminator yeah well the the illuminator as well so we have a few differentiators one of the big ones for me uh i I do enjoy the illuminator but i always have an illuminator on my my weapon platform so uh but even if you discount the illuminator those binos have a two features that 31s don't have one is a fail safe so if you're climbing up a, up a uh, ladder, mm-hmm. you tilt your head up too high with a set of 31s, they're going to shut off because they believe that they've been flipped up. Oh. Our mechanism won't. So if you're climbing a, uh, if you're climbing a ladder there, you can't keep looking up. you got to kind of stay close to the horizon and just glance up. Not important until it is. Not important until it is. And when it is, it's holy fuck. Oh. That was the worst thing that ever happened. Uh, and then uh, the other That's thing cool. is for, for our MSRP, you're also getting a hard case, uh, a Wilcox mount, which, as you know, is 400 bucks by itself. 
Um, and then all of your filters and sacrificial lenses. So you're getting a full kit. If you get the cheapest PBS 31 from, you know, the, one of the largest online retailers, number one, you're going to wait six, seven, eight months to get it. And two, you're getting just the device, no battery pack, no, uh, no Wilcox mount, soft case, and some batteries. Well, That's it. Oh, well, I mean, I have a parent. I didn't even realize how much they cost. So <laughs> I, I'm not the the average customer, I guess. Right. How, how do you get these to a, a, a budget that a regular dude can afford that's into guns or he's into hunting or he wants night vision well, or whatever? That, that's a good question. Um, if you're trying to go premium, you know, with the with the higher FOM stuff, yeah. you can't. Okay. Like that's, that's, that's the simple answer. You cannot, um, I squared tube manufacturer is, is hard as woodpecker lips. Like it's, and the fallout rate is it's the most Southern high. thing said there on you the go. podcast. So hard far. as woodpecker so lips. Far. Um, so it's, uh, you're not, it, you're paying for, you know, tribal knowledge and the difficulty in doing it. Right. So I, don't, I mean, it, to me, that that sort of sounds like when you talk about analog night vision. That's like a dozen years ago, I purchased from Mike Allen, who was the pistol smith at an army unit, who did all the 1911s. He built me a 1911. He had like a four year wait, and I got the good buddy deal, and it's all hand fitted, and it was sixty something hundred dollars. Hmm. And it's like, well, that seems like building analog night vision shit to me <laughs> you know where it's some old world craftsmanship mm-hmm. attention to detail like an, uh, an analog device probably worse yeah right yeah. because we're you know we're we're really other than changing the phosphor color we're not significantly ahead of um 1990 right and an accurized 1911 is generally speaking for that price point no specifically speaking at that price point is a work of art yeah and a a finely crafted piece of kit this yeah it's probably two weeks of someone's life yep and these two person's life these tubes uh even though they're expensive um they are mass produced. There's just a high fallout rate. You know, the, the yield is very low because of all of the things that the processes they have to go through and the time that it takes. And then once they're sealed up, if there's a leak or yeah. the high voltage isn't right, or you're going to have, you know, one of the big things that scares the hell out of me right now is we're starting to ship these out to consumers is the an inherent fact of tubes is black spots or dead spots inside yeah if you've had any night vision yeah you'll you'll know that they're there but if you just spent thirteen thousand dollars on a set of them and you see a black spot you're like i want my money back or swap this out (laughs) like no killer that's Uh, that's that's just a part of analog and yeah yeah right so that that's the hard part right so yeah i mean it's managing expectations which should be marketing yeah well, so so, what's the thing? What what what's the next technology? You, you, what's up? 
I had a question that I wanted to ask because mm. um, what you were just saying was what I wanted to ask. How long before that becomes like a pair of sunglasses when you don't have something hanging off your face like oh, seven inches? That's a great question, and that's what we think the future is, but this will never be that. Mm. It This cannot be that um, because of the overall size and the requirements you know, there. So when we talk about FOM level, the reason that I say that it is, it's not real is because it's only the tube, right? So the manufacturer puts it into a set of perfect optics, of, of essentially a perfect PBS 14 and measures the performance. And based on that performance, that tube gets a spec sheet that says, this is its resolution. This is a signal to noise. Here's where the spots are and it's high FOM or it's low FOM or it's this or it's that. But then it goes to someone else like EOTech and we assemble a set of goggles. Well, if I'm building these in my basement, do you think my optics are as, as critical to me as they are to EOTech or to even an L3 Harris? Like it's not. So the real performance measure is as a system, but FOM only measures that tube. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, and so. It, it, it seems that way, but, you know, it's important because it's it's kind of starting with the the melody, right, for a song. If the melody sucks, doesn't matter what the words are. The rest of the song is going to be shit. You can't make a shitty tube better, I but you can saying. make a great tube well, the shitty. things are cool. Yeah, uh, I just came up with that. Uh, I'm kind of proud of it. Uh, so... But to answer your question about making these smaller where they're, you know, they're a set of glasses or something like that, you'll never be able to do it with analog technology. So then what's the next technology? What's going on? Digital, Come on, baby. Man, digital, baby. Yeah. Digital. That's what so, you, or, well, when are you guys going to have that? Well, we're probably, we have, we, yeah, we have it, but, we, but in a consumer-friendly package, we'll have in about 18 months is kind of where we're at with a monocular. Well, okay. I'm right now we have yep. the the VHS and CD player. You had to get the dual one when, mm-hmm. when the VHS was yeah, starting I, to go I, away. I You're starting the, to get CDs. Right? And the Laserdisc tried Pretty to slip soon, yeah, slot yeah, yeah, right. Pretty soon we'll have the CD player, and then we'll we'll get to the MP3. Yeah. So the the issue is with with an analog device, right? All I can ever do with this is look through it. Mm-hmm. Right. Everything that's going to happen happens inside of this unit. And if I want to transmit this image or ship it out somewhere, I've got to put a camera or something behind this. So with digital, are you going to be able to do it from Bluetooth or you plug in? Like, what do we know? Wi-Fi, plug in direct uh, through ATAC. I can send my image, what I'm looking, my helmet born system, whatever I'm doing. So we're taking a... That's, that's a huge step forward. Mm-hmm. We're taking two paths. All right. So one is a pure... Uh, CMOS solution. So I don't know what the hell that is. That's some military uh, acronym no, bullshit. No, it, it, it's it's not. That's uh, your your a digital camera mm. is a CMOS based uh, chipset. That's a stupid so name. Mm-hmm. I concur. <laughs> uh, but so there. So what you're doing here is your. This is a gain device. Yep. Right? An image intensifier is a gain device. Uh, in the simplest terms possible, photons come in one side. Uh, they pass through a uh, high uh, a microchannel plate, which turns those photons into electrons. 
and then they pass through a high voltage layer that multiplies those electrons. Mm. And then it hits a phosphor screen, which turns those electrons, well, it goes through a whole bunch of freaking fiber optics, but outside of that. Thank God for smart people. Yeah. This is ridiculous. When it hits the, the phosphor, those electrons turn back into to photons, which your eye can pick up. And it does this basically at the speed of light, right? Or as I like to say, at the speed of life. So it's so fast that you're seeing everything in real time. Did you coin that term, speed of I life? I should. I Man. should. That's, that, that's like carpe noctum. We should, we should stick that. Dude, the speed it, of light. It, it's like his 12th one I've heard since I've known him. <laughs> my man, he's gold with that. I, I have it's my ridiculous. moments. I just can't remember this shit. Uh, it's his hood roots. <laughs> it's my hood life. <laughs> All right. So. Uh, you are the yuppiest white man I've ever known, honestly. Jesus H. Christ. You haven't met enough people then. Um. <laughs> uh, so, but that's all we can do with this, right? And, and so what we've done is we've taken a dual path. So we have a pure CMOS, which is a non-gained digital night vision sensor. So uh -huh. you can look at it as a digital camera uh -huh. for low light, right? Our performance is fantastic but it'll never be as good as a gain system. Then what's the other path? Come on, get the to other it, man. You're taking too is, long. is what we call EBAPS. It's an electron bombarded uh, silicon chip. So essentially what we have is we've scaled this to be much smaller. Um, I like. And we're using a gain system so that we're doing the same thing. We're, trans mm -hmm. we're transforming those... Uh, photons to electrons, Got multiplying it. those electrons by passing them through a high voltage current. And then instead of hitting phosphor and turning them back to photons, we have a specialized silicon chip that transfers, that translates those electrons into a, a data, a digital data output that we can then put to a display. Jeez. So we go from gaining electrons to a digital video display but now i can take that sensor or i can take that sensor and take that signal and put it anywhere so now so i can go from something are you doing big away with that the, big. with the tubes yeah well we our tube is just different and it's smaller mm -hmm. smaller well is is this um a technology and performance enhancement to where it's a cost increase or so with our CMOS, which will be our first, see the problem with digital night vision right now is that in the professional community, it's looked upon as a novelty or a toy, right? It's just cheap stuff you get from China for your kids to play with for 300 bucks and they can go look at animals out at Disney, right? What we're doing is changing that landscape and we want to show that digital has a place in the professional use case. So our goal right now with our first product launch for the commercial side is going to be at about 60 to 70 percent of the price of a PVS 14 with comparable performance all the way to uh, no moon or I'm sorry, starlight. Right. So the problem with our CMOS, because it's not a gained sensor, is that with no ambient lighting, with no auxiliary lighting, no IR, no nothing, our performance falls off at about starlight. So anything up to starlight, we're, we're going to be on track with that PVS 31 or that PVS 14. Well, do you just not put an illuminator on? We can put an illuminator on it. So 
or you can use your own gun illuminator. You can any kind of illumination. We're right back up to the same performance, if not better. But the goal is, of course, to get it with uh, completely passive. Right. But that takes time. And what people don't realize is what we talked about earlier. The first starlight scope, first image intensifier was 1960. It took this long to get this good. We're five years in. So it's going to take us time to get that good. But what we can do in between passively and illuminated is fucking amazing. Like I can now make because I'm not going direct view and where we've cracked the code is our processing algorithm. So we're processing this fast enough so that there's no video lag. You can wear this as a headborne system. Yeah, it's a problem with thermal. There's That's lag. the problem with yeah. thermal. There's lots of lag. And the reason you get that lag is because you're processing that signal in order to change it so that it can be All displayed. Right. So so you, you guys are knee deep in it and we're 18 months out. Mm-hmm. Commercial sales. From the commercial. So, first commercial. So we're going to see improvements that we've discussed. And we're going to see a price, a better price point. You're going to see a lower price point. And then the well, next steps are going to be going with our EBAP system, which is actually a gain system. And we've already got headborne systems that we have uh, government development programs for that are, you know, they're head and shoulders above anything else that's out there. And, and because it's a digital signal, because it's a purely digital signal, that means we can have a thermal overlay. That means that I can export what I'm seeing directly to whoever I like, yeah. whether ATAC or another secure system. Not just I can the video, but the metadata. The metadata, and I can import directional data, wayfinder, uh, uh, destination, uh, waypoints, blue force tracker. Jesus. I, I have a true HUD as though I'm in Call of Duty. It's what Garmin was doing 20 years ago. Yeah, but I can't do that with an analog device. Yeah, I've sure. got to have a pure digital signal to be able to do that. So the only way ahead, the only right way ahead is what we can do. And our systems are totally ready and on in use on uh, systems uh, or, or vehicle platforms. We're yeah. in we're on the Apache right now. We're on the Joint Strike Fighter. We're on other yeah. DOD programs. But translating that into yeah, soldier born yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. was not something that the company we acquired was able to do or even thought about. But well, that's all we do. Do you have on the landscape uh, like a weapon mounted system? We do. Mm-hmm. We do. We for, for thermal I squared. So essentially an I squared. Like right now we also offer an I squared clip on device. We we offer a mid range and a long range. Okay. And, and oh, okay. So, so you have that. So, yep. so, so like we, clip on, so like in line for yep, your scope. In line in front of your scope. That's hey, I, you know, five twenty five, I'm gonna make something to go in it's front. Sure, yeah, yeah. And we also have clip on thermals as well. So, so the oh, those are available now. Those are available right now. How how does a consumer get them? Uh, so any of the major uh, online retailers, uh, be it Optics Planet or okay. EOTech, yeah. uh, EOTechGear.com, uh, you can pick them up right now. Oh, so all, it, our entire catalog is, is available. We've got two different models of clip-on thermals, two different models of clip-on I-square. We've got our Bino NV compacts, our Bino NV. Uh, we also have uh, a monocular, essentially a PBS-14. What, what, what's delivery time, Dina? Two days. Oh shit! Yeah, okay. if you order from our website, they're in stock right now. What What about this? That honey badger sitting in front of you—that's my gun. What would you recommend I put in front of that? 
So I would go, we have a, a, a monocular, mm -hmm. uh, our PBS 14 so put with it a weapons it. mount. Yep. So you put it on just like your magnifier and then you could flip it to side when you don't need it or just Ooh, take it yeah. off at night uh, because you have an IR switch for it. So that, that's the best way to do it. And it's a, it's a, um, it'll be, it'll, it would be the best for this end. And then you're going to want to run an illuminator. Well, well, first of all, then I got to change that holographic site because I need the buttons on the side. You want the buttons on the side. You'll also want a night vision capable, but you know, uh, you gave me that bootleg. I, I, I feel one. like you know people. You gave uh, me that bootleg one. Doesn't yeah. have none. All right. I gave you a cool one. It is, and it, and it's I great. and I gave it. Yeah, I, like it, that's it, that's the best. Yeah. Well, you can tell I'm spoiled, <laughs> Britney Spears. Um, yeah. So yeah, you I can't like tell I'm black and white, but well, it's great. Well, I like how you were you were very clear on the fact that um, you're a user, not a buyer. Like. <laughs> There you go. Because that's the argument we always have. have like, I'll use all the shit I develop, but I ain't going to buy any of that shit. So I got to look out for that guy. I'm entitled to a certain level of entitlement. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So, so so you guys are making these too? Yes. So so, so what do you call this thing? This is our... our I'm, I sh fucking suck at namiology. Mm. So this is our OGL, our on-gun laser. How easy is that, right? It started off very as just, army of you. Yeah, it started off as just the uh, product development code name for it, but I haven't been able to come up with anything. Well, better, OGL, so. I like OG. I, I love OG. Yeah. What so. you got, Thomas? Well, okay, you got poet tattooed across your knuckles. <laughs> what you got? Put up or shut up, man. Come on. Well, I'm still upset that Thomas didn't come up with something that was L uh, LBGTQ for the trigger. The LBGT by Q. Yeah, but I just couldn't come up with the words for each one because I thought that would have been the coolest thing to name your trigger. Ah, that damn it. I love how we play the blame game. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But in Easy any case. Easy to point fingers when they're not here. Yeah, no shit, right? Mm. Uh, next thing you know, it'll be your intern. Mm -hmm. uh, but you got to do that after you fire him because he's your responsibility right now. So we used to do the at peel uh, via Insight. And since we Another lost acronym. that as well. Yeah. yeah. Since we lost that, uh, said, well, I want to make our own laser. And especially because we're going with digital and at the, the point of our technology right now, you need that illuminator. Uh, but I wanted to do something different and better uh, yeah. because shit, why not, right? So yeah. uh, this is our on-gun laser. This is the Gen 1. Gen 2 is already in development and it's, it's... Oh, so this one's useless. I can have uh, this one. No, no, no. Gen 1 is, is going to be what everybody in the world needs. Gen 2 is something that is, is more of a passion product for me. Uh, but Gen Gen One um, is smaller and about the same weight, smaller footprint, same weight as an at peel, but uh, we've increased the ergonomics and we've made a few changes that I think make this the premier uh, on gun laser. So, number one, we went with a green visible laser instead of a red because you know it's green, right? Uh, throws better, it's easier for the eye to see, that kind of thing. We located our button very centrally so that when it's out on the forearm, it's really easy to reach whether you go with your index finger. Don't or be blind in the mother. Huh? No, no, I don't have a battery in it, just mm -hmm, to make sure. Mm -hmm. And I got blue screws in, so. Uh, 
and then we put we relocated the uh, switch uh, to the front end instead of cluttering up the top and that gave me enough real estate to put this switch in and this is your illuminator uh, beam divergence uh-huh. so I can go from a spotlight to a floodlight with my thumb just moving it across so okay, inside so a room I got a big bright light outside if the fight goes to the street I got a spotlight. Well, when you said ergonomic changes, I, I felt like that was a total sales bullshit thing. But once you explain it mm-hmm. and you see that, I'm like, yeah, I get it. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, and it makes it you know much easier to find the the fire button. Uh, we use the standard crane connector um, uh-huh. and include the uh, pressure pad, so uh, you're totally set up. Runs on a single one, two, three battery. Oh, good. Uh, you've got your your. Both of your Viz and your IR uh, target designator or mm-hmm. aiming laser are mm-hmm. on the same optical bench. So yeah. you zero one, you've zeroed the other. And then the uh, your illuminator is on a separate optical bench. So you can, like I like to shoot with my illuminator offset from my designator. Why? Uh, for long range, if, it, if it's on uh, my bolt gun. Yeah. Uh, for me, it just makes it easier to, to look and then be able to put my dot there because at longer distances, even though I on this one I've changed the wavelength between the uh, the the IR illuminator and the IR designator, so that even out to about six or eight hundred, the luminance of the two is is great enough that you'll always be able to see where your dot is. They won't wash out. Okay. Uh, but I, I I've already played with this one enough to know I still like it offset. So right. uh, we kept them on a separate optical bench because that makes sense for that. Uh, price point is comparative to an at peel. So what is you, that? I have you, no idea. Uh, on the commercial version, which is uh, FDA approved to be able to sell to civilians because you have to send lasers through the FDA. And so uh, for it makes the, total sense, right. total yeah. sense, food right? and drugs, mm-hmm. so, totally. And lasers. Food, drugs, lasers, mm-hmm. sharks. So what we're looking at for the commercial version is a MSRP of twelve ninety nine. And then for the uh, okay, that's why I see all those Instagram hoes with these because it's not. It's yeah, it's it's, 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 it's not. It is, but you don't get the functionality that you get with this from an app peel. And then uh, our real competitor is the I would say the Engal. The Engal is a little bit smaller. It's is that B Myers? No, it's a L three. Oh, L three. Yeah. Uh, it's a little smaller than ours. It's a bit lighter than ours, but it's about five thousand dollars. And they don't make a commercial version. Yeah. So uh, that's many dollars. Yes. And then when you come to the standard version of it, because it's higher power lasers and that kind of thing, uh, the price point jumps up to about fifteen ninety nine. Well, what's the range for this with a laser? Uh, Man, as far as the eye can see. Okay. Yeah. Because I'm just wondering, I mean, for me, it's a freaking laser. Uh, yeah, <laughs> laser ring. Yeah, because I, I just think for like home defense, that sort of stuff. Oh, yeah. Well, and that's what's great about this illuminator. You know, this beam divergence illuminator. Light them up. Uh, some of them have done it where they put a little screw in the back and then on an at peel standard, you, you rotate it through here. But nobody's come and made it this ergonomic and easy to use for you to be able to right. adjust that beam divergence. So this is a phenomenal product it'll be out uh hopefully in january we'll go ahead and launch it so you guys are seeing it absolute first Uh, these two right now uh, i've got angry people at quality because i stole them uh, and they can't start quality assurance testing to submit to the fda until Mm -hmm. i get them back so yeah they'll be all right but i wanted to show you guys because 
They're killer. It's am very I nice. Gonna, am I going to feel it at the end of my gun? Am I going to know it's there? You, well, I mean, if you do, just go to the gym. Like, I don't, I don't know how, I don't <laughs> know how fucking strong or weak yeah. you are. Like, shit. Okay, man, he weighs a buck 25. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you should feel it. It's, it's not. Just uh, mount it back next not, to your ear. It's not there. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's not obtrusive. Uh, but again, it's one of those things that it provides you with so much, um, uh, flexibility it, and, and you know, the advantages of it outweigh it, but you can always take it off and remount it when you need so it. So Thomas, so. if you have those goggles on, then you can, if it's totally dark, you can hit that illuminator, it puts light out, you can see what's in your hallway, and then you got that laser, so you don't have to shoulder the gun. You, yep. you, know, you can you, just you, shoot from the hip, you can yeah, shoot from wherever. You, you, you get, get mm-hmm. the home invasion errors. Yep. Bust them up with it. it it's so a tedious way to go. Home invasion, right? Yeah. Somebody busts into my house at night. I'm gonna go, I have to go get my goggles. No, that you got them next to the Wait bed, a minute, man. that shit's not by the bed yeah. on a helmet. Yeah. You're not wearing those when you yeah, sleep. Right. What the fuck are you doing? <laughs> like, how are you living? Yeah. <laughs> I thought that's what everybody did, dude. He's living yeah. wrong. All I got to do is step out of bed, and I'm in full armor, helmet, goggles, lasers on. I turn all my shit on before I go to bed, just in case. The good part about it is all the time you spend taking all that uh, stuff out and putting it on is saved by that ergonomic switch. Yeah, that's there you right. Go. You but don't I'll, have to hunt for <laughs> shit. But that's also, a great you guys point. just went on that pig hunt in Texas. And so you see, like being able to see at night and have those lasers and everything. It, it's an, it's, it's, I mean, it's a cho- it's efficiency, Thomas. You know, like you want me to buy that stuff so you can edit the podcast while yeah. we're doing it. Efficiency. If you want to own the night, you need them both. Own the night. You want to own the <laughs> night. Oh, My go. man is dropping Dude, taglines like bad habits. That's your marketing motto right <laughs> there. Jesus. With How's this man not marketing? I, I'm not a marketing night. guy, man. Mm-hmm. You, you are so the marketing guy. You know, it's a great uh, marketing line that we have trademark we don't use as the official sponsor of the good guys. Yeah. Right? That is a good one. That is very good. Yeah. It's really good. I like that. It's very good. What else? You gonna pull anything else out? No, <laughs> well, got, you gonna whip it out? Or what are we me. doing? I, it's not enough. Like, the, well, I don't know. You kept pulling stuff out. I'm just like impressed because normally you whip it out. I'm like, man, that's uh, average. That's bullshit, and you know it. Uh, and, th- and that point is to parlay into. Obviously, when we acquired the company, we had a goal to diversify our product portfolio. Yeah, come out with a bunch of new products it takes time. We're yeah. reducing the time to market as we're uh, as we're starting on new products, so it's not going to take. 18 months anymore we're going to get that down but we've got a whole bunch of products pent up that we're getting ready to release we also That's have our uh, pistol site that we release we have a couple more in the queue there oh yeah, yeah. you, you showed you yep. showed me but it's I shipping off screen yep. last time yep but in, in terms of the element 115 skunk works where you see us going with this digital technology is we've always been seen as the tactical guys where i want to be in five years as the digital guys oh that's cool yeah if digital is the future i mean investing yep. in it but yeah, I mean, it, it is a difficult thing for like a business leader because you need to go ahead and establish some position in yep. the current marketplace. Yep. Mm-hmm. And then the hard part is you need an ecosystem yeah. to make it go. But so you got to start with that buzzwords. one and then then Woo. move forward. Like, well, I, I need a digital signal to broadcast it. Well, where am I broadcasting? You, you read a lot, man. Right. You, you're impressive, him. I mean, even after all these years, you're still impressive. Hey, still so you don't do marketing. So who give a shout out to who? Who did this marketing? 
So like that that is wonderful. That yeah. is uh, that is our digital marketing expert uh, and swag guru Jake Fambro. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, uh, he what, killed it with digital. That yeah, this is cool. He's yeah. got another one, with Ray Charles, with a pair of uh, PBS thirty ones on. That's pretty sweet good. One. I love Ray Charles. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I don't know if that's insulting if you're blind, but yeah. it's. I like it. it. It's a cool looking shirt, but yes. I prefer uh, I prefer my trash, trash panda, panda with his his that's, tubes on. That's so, super cool. Uh, and and our and our trademark uh, tagline: Carpe Noctum. Mm-hmm. So seize the night, baby. Seems like something you would come up with. It's pretty. <laughs> I, cool. I wish I, I can't take credit for that. Well, one. I, I want to give a shout out to I don't remember who did this, but uh, we have such back orders. This is the way. Like <laughs> people, when is it available? <laughs> And so I would say ETA or Margaret at livecuredie.com, and it's like no such email address. And sometimes even get people respond to me, that's not a real email address. You're an asshole. <laughs> yeah, so ask for Margaret. So you needed a fake email address to know that you were an asshole? Have they not paid no, any attention? No, I, th- I think they're slow. I, I don't think it was. So I, I got to know about the, the shoes. Wait, let's get, let's get to them. So my man Todd Askins, so tactical distributors. So Unpossible 15 gets you 15% off. So these Ultima, but which I've worn. They're cool. They're nice. Uh, I don't I don't know what that is. What was that? Tiger Stripe or Brush Stroke or Desert Tiger? I don't I don't know what it is. Brush but these stroke. were a limited thing. I don't know. What is isn't that, that? Isn't that what you call fucking in the woods? A in, brush Stroke? In the hot tub. Oh, in the hot tub. Um, so, oh, Logan Pace. Well, he sent us this nice bottle that was full. Uh, no, it wasn't. Next time, Last put the night? liquor in it. Don't yeah, it. Oh, he, he's, this Blanton's. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, Logan, yeah, Logan was, thank was you great. so much. Yeah, Logan, thanks a bunch. Yeah, I haven't had Blanton's in like a year because yeah. I can't find it. Yeah. Because, well, you know, you need some hookups. Yeah. Uh, I, I forget my man's name, but uh, he was funny, and he drove across state lines to bring me this old man shot glass. That's cool. So this... Jackson Beeman. Now that this kid, this yeah. kid was fifteen. He deconstructed some. I don't know. You like you'd be in the sneakers. I'm not a sneaker Aaron. guy. Why don't you say that? Because I'm black. This is bullshit, <laughs> man. What the fuck. You're half black. What the I'm fuck? half black. No, we're equally you're, black. You're like, uh, no. Yeah, I just hide mine. Mm-hmm. You, you mm. put yours on the outside. Oh, you put yours on your cock. No. Whoa. Whoa. I'm asking. Whoa. That's hidden, Whoa. right? Nobody wants to see that Whoa. shit. Anyway, deconstructed these. They are the most plush leather in the entire world. He did the Q-Tang, which we can't use that anymore, according to Christine. You know, <laughs> shout out to General Counsel, like, asshole. <laughs> and this, oh, blue alligator. I mean, that have you dope. seen? That's a beautiful that, pair that of is. shoes. That kid is 15 years old. He's super into fashion. He's suit. I mean, doing well, you, these sneakers. You're going to have to wear those, though. You do yeah, realize that, but right? But I want him to know how much I appreciate him. And I'm going to wear them. But, okay. it, you know, it's when I get, you know, like, I don't know, People Magazine, Sexiest Man of the Year. So you're not like going to wear them. <laughs> <laughs> is, that what, is that what you're saying? My uh, first date with your lady, I'm wearing these. All right, all right. Tomorrow night. So, um, yeah. You, you wear them when they make a movie of your life, as long as I can be your stunt double. Oh, stunt double? Woo, you better start stretching. <laughs> better start stretching. Because, you know, we, 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 uh, yeah, we go all out here <laughs> at the Brigham household. So, um, as you guys saw earlier, I'd be, uh, yeah, so, so yeah, we got shout acrobatics. Shout out to him. He killed those. Oh, that, didn't he do a great job? Man, that is uh, over the top. They, I mean, they are perfect. They're phenomenal. Um, God, and, and the kids, I was like a fan of the company, and I just wish him so much success. And, yeah. you know, this is like his passion. He loves guns as well, and that's like a family thing for him. 
Um, but he came up with his family and built like a honey badger and some stuff. And he sent me these shoes as a thank you. And wow. And I love them. But it, it is actually probably we've gotten several good gifts here we have the arcade game over there we have this kind of stuff there's a whole bunch of stuff in the background here but these are probably top of the list and you're right i don't know what the occasion's gonna be yeah it might be i don't know when one of my daughters gets married or something but yeah. it's gonna have to be special to me i am pimping mm-hmm. these things yeah uh, it could be a hunt if we if we go on a narwhal hunt and <laughs> yeah <laughs> i mean maybe i'm wearing these but it's gonna mm-hmm. be something that's special to me so anyway uh Matt, Hopefully thank you so much banquet. for coming. Thank Aaron, you for having us. It's always interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm so excited for you guys. No shit. I'm glad to see it be a, a company of the people again, yeah. not some big bullshit. Um, you guys doing new products, you know, seeking out innova- uh, innovation, like taking care of the customers. Um, I don't know. I'm excited. Night vision and thermal. I mean, it's kind of the future. It is. And so many other things we didn't talk about. We've got the next generation holography. We've, yeah. we've got so much shit in the <sighs> shoe, dude. Well, so we've got to say something to come back on, right? Yeah, yeah that's Maybe cool. you'll welcome us back one day. Yeah, well, I'm coming to your podcast, Aaron. It's okay. Like well, any, if any person needs a podcast in this industry, it'd be your ass. Wear those mm-hmm. shoes. You do it. I'll that wear way we shoes. can talk about right. it. It'll All be, right. yeah. But Anna Tux. Because you got to set those off, man. You show up with those in cargo shorts, you're just fucking wrong. Well, you know, I normally look like a bum, but you know I you got do. that Oxford tux. I got that last, ma- you know, it's the last handmade suit in America. It's where George Bush and Prince used to buy his suits. I got one. Okay. But I got that one. That with those I'll shoes. Be, oh, you can set it I'll off. be dude. a dry <laughs> pair of panties in the county. All right. Well, thank you, guys.